0: Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, as always, Liam Edwards, and thank you for joining me to once again banish another delightful games industry member for the 63rd episode of the show. Joining me this week is a guest who has dedicated a large part of her career to giving indie games and indie developers a space and voice in the largely AAA dominated areas of the games industry, such as conventions and industry events. Having studied chemistry at university, it was in 2012 when my guest left her role as a project manager to found and create the wonderful Indie Mega Booth, a large showcase of different developers and companies all showing off their latest indie titles in a huge space at shows such as PAX, wrestling back space from larger game companies and publishers that over the years have started to dominate such events. Over its five years of existence, Indie Megabooth has done much more to expand beyond just being a large booth at industry events, and now boasts a large support network of indie developers and strives to bring indies together and to help more become discoverable and give them a platform to show their games off to larger audiences, publishers and also the press. Not want to be content though my guest also works in other areas of the indie game scene such as being the chairman of the Independent Games Festival and also being the co-organizer of my pe- my own personal favorite industry event Japan's Excellent Bit Summit Festival that happens every year in Kyoto. I'm very excited to say that joining me this week fresh from hosting Indie Megabooth's first ever Indie Mega Show in Atlanta is Indie Megaboot founder and overlord the delightful Kelly Wallach. Hello Kelly. <laughs>
1: that was amazing that was so good that was like a perfect summary of my career in games so far I kind of want to just like take that and just play it for people when they ask me what I do
0: (laughs) (laughs) and people have suggested having like audio business cards of what of the introductions I do for them
1: yeah that's amazing (laughs)
0: <laughs> if you ever wanted to know about me here is everything condensed by a podcaster from japan
1: <laughs> yeah it sounds good it sounds like a very radio radio voice quality too so oh thank yeah, you thank very you. much <laughs> i'm
0: always i found like my humdrum english voice doesn't give people justice in their introductions i don't think <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was kelly great. thank you so much for joining me how are you doing yeah. today
1: yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm doing really well, like we were chatting a little bit before. Um, we just wrapped up our E3 and our first ever mega show in Atlanta, and so now we're going on to PAX West, which is actually a little bit of a break for me. PAX, PAX West and the IGF opening, even though I'm essentially doing two jobs and it's still a lot of stuff, is kind of a bit of a breather compared to the last like six months or so. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been feeling pretty good, you know, it's the weather's is it that nice. that sort and, of, yeah. that sort
0: of balance of the, of experience. And I've already done these shows compared to having to do like completely new things and having no idea how to do them.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's been a while since I've kind of gone into something that I was like, pretty sure I knew what to do, but definitely, definitely learned a lot of lessons and like, you know, found out a lot of things about the company and how we do things and how to do consumer outreach and stuff. And so Overall, it was, it was really, really good, and it was definitely a lot of learning, and like I had mentioned, it's not something that I had to do for a while, so it was nice to kind of flex, flex those muscles a bit, but it was also kind of terrifying and very stressful at the same time.
0: <laughs> so, the Indie Mega Booth itself has been running for five years now, yes. and, and that kind of thing, and obviously, it wasn't last week, the week before, I think, when you did this, your first ever Indie like Mega Show. Yes. And that was kind of like your your own event, like your own big event, but with the same sort of thing you would have at Pax and stuff like that, or was it a bit bigger beyond just um... the large booth now?
1: Yeah, so it's actually like physically a lot smaller, like the the turnout, the turnout was pretty good. Like we we sold more tickets than I was kind of thinking we were going to and it was getting closer. But because we're so used to existing inside of these larger, bigger consumer events, like PAX has like 100,000 people come to it, right? And yeah. like we're not responsible for selling the tickets for that. So our experience for that kind of stuff is a little different. Um, than doing our own kind of shows. But also the intent of these was to have them be smaller in general because we want to take them to multiple cities. Uh, And the idea is that developers don't have to travel as far, fans don't have to travel as far, and we can really focus on local content. Um, The whole kind of my grandiose vision of how this is going to work is that in the future, once these become a little more sustainable, that the proceeds from the events would get paid to the developers that are showing their games there as a way to help to support um, kind of a little more like avant-garde games and local communities. Um, and then aside from that, we also have a music component to it. So we featured a lot of local artists and musicians. So Atlanta has a super, super cool music scene. So we had a lot of rap and hip hop artists. Uh, we had some alt control games. We had arcade cabinets. We had local developers. Um, we had some art installations. And so it's essentially a little more like kind of like a, a party, like a, an arcade party i guess it's celebrating local communities <laughs> and celebrating Just, like interesting cool things that are going on in the games industry to make it accessible to people who couldn't you know either time or money wise afford to go out to like these kind of big super video game events
0: yeah so let's roll back then to the start then and indie Meg- Mega Booth itself I when I think about it like I it feels like it's been around for a heck of a long time like it's become this staple of industry events yeah. especially within like people who I know and developers I talk to and stuff like that everyone is always talking about it and obviously being someone who loves going to bit summit and stuff like that I've become to know indie Megabith quite well um so 5 years when I say 5 years it doesn't seem that long uh, <laughs> ago but how was it? What was your, like, thinking behind starting it? I'm kind of surprised that no one had the idea before anyway, but because it seems like such a good idea. Like, yeah. oh, there are all these people who can't really afford to go to shows like this, and they can't afford to have booths, and there is no space other than, you know, in publishers like Ubisoft and stuff like that are dominating these events. What? How did you sort of start the Indie Mega Booth?
1: Yeah, so I think that there was, I mean, I think there was inklings of it. Like, there was definitely some informally kind of organized indie sections of shows, especially at PAX, which tended to be more indie-friendly than something, say, like E3. You know, that's, like, kind of a big behemoth, like, AAA-dominated show. And it was, I talked to somebody else about this, like, I think if I had known what I was getting into, I don't know if I would have had the nerve to actually do it, because at the time I was still working as a chemist. So I was, like, working in a lab and i didn't really know too much about video game industry and i was starting to meet people and i really really fell in love with the community and the creative kind of technical overlap between those like i when i had first moved to boston i moved there cuz i got a job managing a chemical engineering lab at mit and the students that i worked with there were super super creative very technical entrepreneurial you know really like like, there's a really interesting subculture, I guess, of stuff that goes on at MIT. Like, I think from the outside, it's seen as, like, this is where all the uber super smart nerds go or whatever. But it actually has a lot of, like, really interesting, like, cultural stuff. There's a whole, like, kind of history of experimenting with, like, hallucinogenics and, like, art and, like, outside-of-the-box thinking. And I, I really, really, really loved working with the students there. And when I started meeting indie developers, indie developers and going to these meetups and having these conversations, it really reminded me of the type of spirit, I guess, in the same kind of, like, creative, technical crossover. And, like, people from indie games come from all over. Like, people are like, oh, I used to be a physics major. Or, oh, I used to be an artist. Or, oh, I used to be a musician. And then they kind of, like, fell out of these other, like, really tightly conformed industries and then just, like, ended up making video games, you know, which is, like, a crossover between all of this stuff. And... So when I was getting more involved in this, my ex-boyfriend at the time was running a studio in Boston and we were showing at an event and, or we're showing at PAX and it was like up on the sixth floor and they had moved all the indies up there and it was really, really hard to get traffic up there. It was like a new section and it was mostly merchandise and I think he was kind of like exasperated with it and was just like, oh, when we do this in Boston, we should get everyone together and go to the organizers and see if they'll let us buy like a big giant space in the middle of the show floor. Instead of just, like, cramming us all up here in a corner. Um, And I just, like, I thought the idea was really cool because I was like, yeah, why doesn't somebody do that? And he was like, well, you know, I'm running a studio, so I don't have the time to do that. (laughs) And I was like, well, I really like running things and I want to learn more about the games industry and how this all works. So I was like, if you can convince people that this is a good idea and help me kind of, like, get it started, then I'll, you know, logistically run it. And, yeah, so the first time it was kind of more just, like, I just did it to see... I don't know what it was, you know, I I had gone to PAX one time before I hadn't ever gone to like a video game conference. Aside from that, I hadn't like really imagined myself like getting into the games industry. I just wanted to start a company and I was like thinking about starting a biotech company. That's um,
0: incredible. Like yeah. <laughs> to think that not having experience and then to do something that has very much changed the future of, a, of industry events, not only just like PAX and stuff like that, but like e3 and even over here in japan with bit summit to
1: go yeah, from having been, no experience yeah. to having
0: <laughs> such a massive effect on the industry that's pretty crazy
1: yeah it's really and it's it's crazy too because it's hard for me to get perspective on it because i'm so in the middle of it you know and i talk to people and i, I understand that it's influential and i understand that it's important to the community in a lot of ways but in other ways it's also like this thing that I just made and created and ran with. Um, and I think that it filled, it really like was a right place, right time, right situation. You know, not that I want to discount the work that like I did or the other people that helped to like get it going and, and running it were doing, but I think that there was there was obviously a need for it, you know, and it, and it kind of took off. And that's why I think when I look back, like if I had understood what I was doing and who, who the people were that I was working with and what it would kind of come into, I think it would have been really terrifying Um, but it was just kind of this thing where it just kind of kept going and going. And at some point I was like, well, this is, I switched to work as a project manager, uh, to learn about, you know, how software is made. And I had done like lab management and I know how to code and stuff like that. So it wasn't like totally foreign to me, but I didn't understand the process of it. And so at some point it just became like the mega booth became more of a time sink than my actual job was. And I was like, well, if I'm ever going to start a business, this is the way to do it. Right. Yeah. I might as well (laughs) just do it. Um, So
0: tell me then about turning what is essentially just a huge booth at industry events into a business and what it is that the indie mega mega booth has become like now, what it is that you do to expand beyond just being that large booth.
1: Yeah. So that's actually kind of, that's been a really complicated, long question, I feel like. And I think a lot of A lot of what it was from turning it into just this thing that was organized into something that was more of a community driven effort is a little bit to do with how I learn and process and, you know, make decisions about things. A lot of times I I like to hear lots of different people's opinions and I like to do a lot of research and, you know, I come from a science background, so that's kind of my thing. Like, I don't like to move super fast. Like, social media scares the crap out of me. It's too quick. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) reacts too fast. I'm like, no, I need to think about this for three months before I respond. Um, and so there were a lot of people that like early on that I had met, not knowing too much about the games industry, where I was just asking everybody that I met everything that I could and finding out, you know, what are the problems, what would be helpful for people. And really like the mega booth is, is not just, it's, it's not me, you know, it's, it really is just a conduit for a reflection of what's happening in the games community. And so I really let the community kind of drive what we do and what's important and like you know, the, the types of games and things like that. Like, the curation that we do once we started doing that is almost almost all based on the teams. Not like the games aren't important, but, like, I want people that are doing something positive for the community overall, that have, like, really interesting ideas and a positive outlook on, like, what the industry can be and how we can all help each other. Because I have this very kind of, like, underlying hippie commune kind of, like, vision of what the world could be in the future, <laughs> <laughs> Which is what the the mega show events are. It's not so much because like, I want to make our own event that's going to make a million dollars and be bigger than PAX or something like what I want to do is I want to make something that is just like helps the ecosystem of indie games be more sustainable and can bring more people into the world of tech, and into the world of games. So we like we can have people expressing themselves and having access to resources and networks that they won't have access to unless they're in you know, say, very privileged situations or they know the right people or they do this. Yeah. Like, I want us to work with people who are, like, maybe not really, like, the cool kids or, you know, come from a different background or they come from countries where there's not a lot of the same access to technology or they're marginalized communities. And, like, I want those people to be able to, like, tell their stories and meet the people that they need to meet because I think that they're doing something good just overall. So, yeah, you know, if these events go the way that I want them to kind of half of the point is just to poke at a little bit of the rest of the industry to say like, Hey, it doesn't really have to be this way. Like, you know, developers are having to pay a lot of money to go to these things and it's like advertising spend and, but then discoverability issues are super tough because there's a million games out and like, you know, now there's all this open platform and publishing and access to technologies. And there's all these things that are kind of making it like really unsustainable for people to do creative, interesting work. Um, and so, it's things like that where it's it's kinda like, I don't know, I'm just most of the time I'm just trying to prove a point. <laughs> <laughs> that and so, these games yeah. are worth it. These
0: these people yeah. in these games in this community are worth it. So yeah. tell me then like as someone who is maybe like a fledgling indie developer or someone who is kind of making a game and they they don't really know how to get it out there and stuff like that what is it that the indie mega booth can do for them or you as a company can do for them and how they go about like approaching you guys and that kind of thing
1: yeah so i mean i think i think one thing to also kind of say in this is like as as important as i think people feel that the mega booth is i think that there's a lot of avenues to success you know like we're not the kind of golden ticket to solve all of the problems like we're a, a piece we're a piece of the puzzle kind of thing um, and you, and so you guys I, are like yeah. very
0: much US-based as well, so it kind of yeah. does only really depend if you live in the US. I mean, you have Bitsum over here in Japan as well, um, but obviously that is quite limiting in, in itself. Yeah. But if you were like a US indie-based developer...
1: Yeah, I mean, we definitely get teams from Europe and from kind of all over the place. And then we've done a lot of work with our partners and sponsors to have, we call them like scholarships... Um, but Intel has been a long time supporter of, uh, as part of their diversity initiative. And so we help to fund, um, boost spaces and some costs, uh, for developers that are coming from, uh, you know, far away places, or like yeah. I said, marginalized communities. Um, we do work with unreal to support games that are made in unreal engine. We do a thing with our alumni group where they pitch in and help to pay for the mini boost spaces. So we kind of try and make it as accessible as possible for people that are coming from overseas. And like some of the work that we did with Bit Summit was spawned off of the fact that we started having Japanese developers and people that wanted to come and show their games at the mega booth. And so we would go through like a handful of people that worked as translators or, um, you know, could help to advocate for the teams that there was a yeah. language barrier or like um, we do some work with the Busan Indie Connect um, folks, which is an event in South Korea. And so like we organized the kind of like a South Korea Portion of game stuff or whatever um, through them because they need help with translation, they need help with travel, um, things like that. So it's not totally strictly US-based, but I would honestly say, like, I think starting local is super, super important, like getting involved in your local community, like making those networks, making those connections, going to, um, you know, places where you can show off your game to even small communities and do playtesting and then kind of work your way up from there. I think that it's kind of you know we have people ask us like when should we apply to the mega booth or when should we show our game at PAX and it's like well when do you want like 30,000 people to look at the game you know like that that's kind of like that's that's kind of the point that like okay is it is it actually are you ready for that
0: like like, is your game ready for that to happen to it that kind of thing.
1: yeah and I think sometimes people just kind of like they're like oh yeah this is the this is the way that I get noticed kind of thing but I think there's Everybody kind of has to put in their dues on stuff, right? And, like, that's part of kind of what I was saying with, like, the the teams and the way that we want to support people is, like, I want to support the kind of slow and steady, you know, the tortoise and the hare kind of thing. Like, we're definitely – the Mega Booth is the tortoise for sure. Um, and I want to reward people that have that same kind of attitude where you're, like, looking at the long game for stuff. Yeah. And so, yeah, I really, really feel like starting off local and then moving from there and just learning as much as you can and being really receptive to feedback – Um, And feeling kind of like is surrounding yourself with people who have, you know, similar kind of um, views on the games industry and just being like creative and fun with it. And like that, that can be hard if you don't have access to like the resources or the money. Like in some ways, a lot of these things are like, you know, people are funded by family members or spouses or they used to work at a triple A company or, you know, it's really hard to just kind of like come from nothing, you know, and create a technical thing. And then put it out to the world and make a bunch of money. It definitely happens, but it's that—that's to me, I think, should be viewed more as an outlier, and the kind of like, you it's know, definitely like the put other in side put of in the, the groundwork, yeah.
0: <laughs> because making your making your own game is difficult in a sense, and I mean, you could be like a super genius person who um, can make games in any engine, and you at home are making an amazing game. But on the flip side of that, to even get that game out to people is this whole other world of business that needs to be done that maybe you have like completely no experience for or you have no money to do like going to events is super expensive and showing your game off at booths is very expensive and stuff like that it's like this whole other world to yes you may be great at making a game out or you know you and a few friends as a studio making a great game but how are you when it comes to like actually showing off that game that you've made to people or marketing it and showing it off at events and stuff like that it's like a completely different world
1: (laughs) yeah well and that's part of like what we want to do with the mega booth like the that's why we have like the alumni group or people who we call they kind of have like graduated from the mega booth is that we want we want a really good mix of like younger younger developers and students and people that we think have promising games like maybe their first game isn't going to be a, a smash hit but maybe their second game you know will be really good if they get access to the right kind of mentors yeah. like i really really think having role models and mentors is super 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 important um and so we like to have a mix of that and then we kind of teach people the tools that they need to have basic understanding of like how do you market your game how do you show it like what do you do with the play testing feedback and then after they show their game a few times with us, then, you know, the game launches and ideally then they're in a situation where they can give back to the community later to either act as a mentor or to volunteer or to contribute back financially. Um, or if something goes wrong with a game and it doesn't do well, they can kind of reach out to the community and ask for feedback or at least like have a sort, a sort of like support network um, to help them through that situation as yeah. opposed to just kind of like just showing the game and then being like, okay, peace, bye. Yeah, see you um, next
0: year kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So, of like, a-,
1: a, lot of the, a lot of the part of, like, growing it as a company and doing all the stuff is, like, all these things that happen in between the shows where we're trying to connect people with opportunities and, like, all of our partners and sponsors and equipment um, providers and all that, like, we can essentially give an opportunity to almost every single person that we work with because we have such a variety and diversity of, um, different companies that we work with. And we're also careful about the companies we work with because we are, you know, essentially implicitly endorsing them by having them work as sponsors or or partners. And so we really want to make sure that like everything is mutually beneficial. Like everyone is kind of getting something out of the situation. Um, and it doesn't feel exploitative or it doesn't feel like anybody's being taken advantage of. And it's just like, you know, here here are the opportunities and we're just collating all those opportunities together and then giving them in easy ways for like both sides. Um,
0: excellent. Yeah. It does It is constantly, uh, every time I hear or have a conversation with someone who's talking about the Indie Megabith or experiences whether it, it always is a very positive one and seems like a complete force for good within the industry, yeah. which is excellent.
1: Yeah, that's super awesome to hear. I mean, that was always kind of my, that was always really my goal is that I just wanted it I wanted it to be doing good, you know, and good in yeah. like the actual true grammatical sense of the word good. <laughs> <laughs> Just
0: a positive. I think positive yeah. is more the word N- yeah. and not so much doing good, but doing positive. Um, yeah. Positive either for the individual developer who's maybe had a good experience showing their games off, but also positive in the sense of getting in indie games out there and being a positive force for the indie scene and the games industry in general, which is excellent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's been very, very incredible and very rewarding. I feel like to have been a major part of making something like this happen that's become really important to a lot of people. And I feel like has done, you know, a lot of, yeah, positive, positive things overall in the industry. So, like I said, my kind of, my hippie, my hippie commune version of the future. I'm going to make it happen. It's one, coming true. One little piece <laughs> at a time. Yeah. One little bit at a time. You can only, you can only affect the things you can affect, right? And like your kind of immediate. Unfortunately, though, (laughs) unfortunately,
0: though, for you, you're going to have to let it sort of evolve by itself now and hope that that happens, because we're going to have to send you away to a deserted island. Oh, my gosh.
1: (laughs) That actually sounds amazing right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can make your sort of own own hippie commune on an island by yourself with the eight games that you've chosen for today's show. Yes, Um, And we're going to sort of leave indie games by the side a little bit, um, even though you deal with it every day. Yes. Uh we had Rami from Vlambeer on. Um, mm-hmm. and he very much said, you know, indie games is sort of my existence, my life. Everyone talks to me about indie games. Um so the games he sort of chosen were all big AAA titles because it was oh, kind nice. of a palate cleanser for him. Um, yeah. and although yours aren't, you know, massive AAA titles, there's de- definitely games from big studios here and stuff like that. And um yeah. there's definitely a theme. there is very much a theme for the games that you personally like um but they're all excellent choices for a deserted island situation so why don't we start with the first game and listen to some music and jump right into kelly's final games off kelly's list today then her eight games to take with her to a deserted island we are starting off with one of the biggest simulator games i want to pause after the first three letters of (laughs) simulation um it's one of the biggest simulator games in the industry it was developed by maxis and published by ea this uh entry in the series is also getting a release this year on playstation 4 and xbox one which was announced last week um so i imagine if you've not played enough of it already you can play some more at the end of this year it was originally released on pc back in 2014 it is the fourth entry in the life simulation series it's of course the sims 4 kelly why is the first <laughs> game you're taking with you the nice little cheer in the background there why is the first game you're taking with you sims 4
1: well, I mean, well, one of the reasons is it's just the newest one in the series, so it's just the one that I'm playing the most of at the moment, and it's got okay. the most things in it. But <laughs> I've I started playing The Sims essentially after the immediately after the release of the very first one. Um, so I've been a, a a diehard diehard Sims fan for I don't know whenever that game came out first. I'm gonna like guess 2001
0: DC7. or something. I've I think I think it was before that. that. I
1: was. I was in high school when I was playing that and I graduated in 2001. So I think, I think it might've been sooner. I think it might've been 97, 98, maybe. It's crazy. um, Wow. Sims has been around for
0: so long.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's crazy. So, um, yeah. So the Sims, I'd say consistently over the course of my kind of gaming life is probably the game that I've played the most amount of. And really when it comes down to it, I mean, it's essentially electronic dollhouse, um so it's kind of (laughs) yes yes it very much is (laughs) it's kind of silly as silly as that is when you kind of distill it down um and i think that the there's a couple other on the list that are a little similar to this like seeing the evolution of how the games have grown where the first one i feel like was a little bit more it was fun because it was like systems testing almost um i did this uh Oh man, it was like something like a gaming profile. And it's more like a research project where you would answer all these questions and it would tell you like what kind of games you liked and, you know, what your play style was essentially. And yeah. mine was almost like 99% into like this one category of essentially like management system testing simulation <laughs> style games. I went like 0% fun. You know, like one percent excitement. (laughs) Like it's really like I am laser, laser, like narrow focused on like this specific kind of thing. Um,
0: Well, I think people will (laughs) tend to agree with this by the end of today's. Yeah, after,
1: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) yeah, after the end of my list. Um, and so The Sims, like the very first one, it was just it was fascinating because there was so much stuff, and there was all these like combinations of things. Like, oh, if I put my sim in a room. And then I take the door out and then I give them a a kitchen and then I give them a bearskin rug and then they have a cooking skill below three. They'll set their room on fire, you know, and then they like can't get out of the room. And then it's like, okay, if I do this and I do this, then like, you know, now I have a career in this or I do this thing. And so it was it was just kind of like a fascinating, endless kind of like, you know, I don't want to call it a tech tree, really. Um, But it was just, yeah, it's kind of silly to be like, I want to spend all my time sitting here and having a fake life. In this game. Um, yeah. But for, yeah. But for me, it's kind of like, there's two components to it. The earlier ones weren't as good with this, but I probably spend most of my time actually building houses and like lots and things in The Sims, almost more so than I actually play the game itself. Um, and it wasn't until The Sims 4 that I actually played it without you doing like a, a money cheat or a sandbox cheat or something, because then it just became like a, a grind, you know, it's like I go to work every day in my real life. I don't want to like sit and send my Sim to a job that I don't really care about and sit and wait or whatever, you know, over and over again. It's more kind of like, what can I do? What could I do if I had unlimited resources or if I could do whatever I wanted to? Um, And so as, as it grew, you know, and then you could have generations, then it became a like, Oh, you know, what are the genetics behind like having this person, this person have a kid, or what do the grandkids look like, or what about the cousins, or what about this? Um, oh no,
0: the the Nazi realm of thinking.
1: <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant more in the testing way, not in a not in a fascist crazy, you know. <laughs> more in Arian, the test tube, very race like. way, yeah, yeah. More just it's like just fascinating the number of combinations of stuff, you know, like the amount of things that have gone into into it. And you get to the Sims 4 and I mean it's like I don't know, it's a little like are we living in a simulation kind of thing because it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty far advanced on like emotionally how the Sims will interact with each other and the AI and like the um you know the kind of free will versus this and like I mean I I find like that that whole stuff just kind of fascinating to begin with, and so I was going to say,
0: as someone yeah. who has a scientific background, when it comes to games like The Sims that have like you know a genealogy um, and uh, you know generations and stuff like that, do you find it to be pretty scientifically accurate in, in, in the sense that when the child is born or something, they don't they don't appear to just have been a randomly generated character, or they, it seems to take some attributes or traits from the parents that you created.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely it definitely does. And that's kind of the interesting thing with making a game like this is that you can, you can program all of that in. I mean, DNA replication is essentially just programmed code that's replicated over and over again to create humans. You know, like when um, I took a – well, I took a couple like biochemistry classes, but one of the most like kind of amazing things that blew my mind when I was in school and I was learning about a lot of this stuff was like a, a 3D rendered video, which was like a big deal at the time, of um, – the, of like DNA and RNA transcription and like replication and it's kind of like creepy. Like the chemicals, you know, it's it's all like plus and minuses and it's all little you know subatomic interactions. But when you look at it in like a biological sense, it's like okay, here's a big crazy ball of stuff that's like walking along the DNA to replicate it and it's doing this and it and it looks it looks weird, you know. Like it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think that on like this very very basic level. It's all just little chemical reactions that all just somehow go perfectly amazing, way, like amazingly well, and creates a functioning human being that has like <laughs> thoughts and feelings and a life and exists, you know. And it's all just yeah. like comes down to just yeah pluses and minuses, right?
0: Just like binary and, code. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah, ones and zeros, but instead biological ones and zeros of pluses and minuses.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's it's pretty. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty incredible. Kind of want to so, lie down now. I know. (laughs) And so like, and so in some ways it's almost like a little easier to just program it into a computer and have it spit it out because there's no mess ups, right? Like there's no like, um, like weird, like it's like, hey, here's the rule set. And then this is how it happens uh and so, like children
0: with arms coming out of their heads and,
1: yeah yeah i mean you can do a bunch of weird stuff like they've added in you know like there's vampires and aliens and there's all types <laughs> of crazy stuff like they, I mean, we
0: don't want to be too realistic too scientific yeah yeah well yeah so i mean it, it kind of
1: once they release one then it turns into later i call it the uh the expansion pack hype train where you know <laughs> yeah. they only come out with a new version of these games every like four or five years or something and then in between they just release a bunch of like you know downloadable content and um, and yeah, I can't and remember the Sims Three had
0: something like seventy plus DLC packs, and just I, I, yeah, I would totally from, believe that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, just ranging from nonsensical to yeah. fun. A lot of it consumer brand packs, which is so weird. So yeah, weird. but EA, yeah, they had a lot you know. of
1: like yeah, they had a lot of um cool. There was a really big modding community around the Sims Two, I think, and then the Sims Three. They actually integrated a lot of uh the tools that the modding community was using into the sims 3 and then the okay. sims 4 they kind of like backed away from that but i've actually found that the content quality is still really high um and there's a lot there's a lot that kind of gets added and that's going on and that's a little more accessible and there's also a lot more variety in like the colors and styles which was one of like the original kind of like modding community was coming out of um and also like making way better textures for like hair and clothes and stuff like that Um, which The Sims 4, I feel like is actually kept up on pretty well. Like, I just picked up a couple new expansion packs, and I'm like, wow, these are all clothes that, like, are actually, like, on-trend and interesting. Um, And so, you know, if you think about the community of people that's playing The Sims, I mean, I think it's, like, 70 or 80% women or something, and it's, like, one of the top-selling PC games of all time. Um, So the mod community on, like, the hair and fashion and makeup is fucking on point. It's so good. (laughs) And so it's just, like, you know, I don't think that Anyone when they were first kind of making The Sims was thinking that it was going to kind of, I don't know if they were thinking that it was going to turn into that, that kind of like form of self-expression and kind of diving really deep into like, you know, women's fashion and like even The Sims 4 now, like you can be gender fluid, like you can pick whether you present as masculine or feminine and whether like you can become pregnant or whether you impregnate others and all this stuff. And so it's like they've, they're really like, there's a, a whole like article about this that the Sims was, like, the first game that you could play as, like, same-sex couples or have, like, interest in the same gender. And they kind of, like, accidentally revealed that. Like, they were either going to remove it or they were going to keep it in or something or other. And one of the programs, they just had it in because they were just like, well, whatever. You can just, you know, fall in love with whoever you want to in the game because it's a computer game. So it's, yeah. just, it's a matter of you almost actively have to turn that off as an option, you know, to, like, keep it if you're going to keep it from happening. Yeah, um, if you, and then, yeah. yeah. I remember and so there was like, a game
0: like that not that long ago. I can't remember what it was um oh wasn't it
1: like a nintendo something yeah there was a nintendo oh it was like um uh
0: tomodachi life or something like that yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and it it just actively did
0: turn it off yeah
1: which is like it's it's funny it's like you almost have to like program it in as like a separate like extra thing and so i get so they had it in there and then like they did some sort of big reveal like maybe it was e3 or it was something or other and like the sims like organically like a same-sex couple like kissed in the live video that they were playing or something and then it became this kind of like narrative of like oh my god you can like you know be who you know you can marry same-sex couples in this game and it wasn't like really it wasn't intended to be a statement and it was just funny that they were like yeah it just happened because the sims have a (laughs) sexual preference like depending on who you flirt with or whatever yeah um and so i I kind of like i i like that it's always it's always had that you know it's always been just like how much do you want to go with self-expression versus the first one which is a little more like I said like almost like kind of a a weird thought experiment um where the other ones after that became a little more like yeah like how do you express yourself how do you create the stories that you want to create how do you share those with other people how do you create within a within that world um and you can pretty much do anything you know and there's like a lot of um what is it called there's like the this um Goldie blocks. it's this um engineering toys for for young girls and they did a bunch of research and they found that like when girls make and create things like physically make and create things they tend to learn better and find a purpose in it if they create a story that goes along with it whereas a lot of times when young boys are playing with toys they just will just make things for the sake of making them yeah whereas like women and girls tend to like create stories around it and so these goldie blocks toys are like there's like a girl, you know, who's kind of like the hero of it and she has all her friends and you're like, okay, create this contraption so that you can rescue a dog from the other side of a river or something. And you're like, oh, okay, now there's a purpose to why I'm making this weird contraption instead of just sitting here and like fiddling with it. Yeah. Um the
0: brain starts firing.
1: Yeah, and so I really kind of the dog. Yeah, like there's like a, a reason that you're doing it or there's some sort of like Still, you know, loose structure built around it or some sort of narrative okay. or story or something. And so I, I kind of always, like, I think of that with The Sims is that, like, it's a way to, like, create stories and create scenarios and, and test things out. And, like, for someone like me, like, moving from sciences to um, business and, like, people management, it's actually been mentally very difficult because chemicals and science stuff, I mean, for the most part, will just kind of react the way that you think it will react. And there is, like, there is an answer to everything you might not be able to find it but there is like an answer or a number or a system or a thing that explains like what is happening and then when you start to throw people into the mix it gets really complicated and like (laughs) there are a million answers and my brain just goes crazy because there's no structure to it and I'm like you know I get paralyzed like writing an email being like oh my god then what if they read it like this then what if they say this and then what if they (laughs) the intonation is this thing and it's this thing and it's this thing so context is yeah important yeah, so for, like, The Sims to be able to kind of play and interact and have all these, like, human things happen, you know, it's it's very, like, it's very interesting. Like, you can be someone that you wouldn't normally be or you can be your idealized version of yourself or something and then see how these other people would, like, interact with you based on their personality type. And so I just, I find it kind of, like, very endlessly, endlessly fascinating, I guess. And so that's so, why it was kind of my number one, my number one desert island pick, because I think I could probably play that game forever. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, it is like the perfect deserted island pick. We have sort of, we started to sort of create this sort of own genre of its own, which is the deserted island pick and whether it's good or not. Um, and obviously games like The Sims very much fit into that sort of replayability, able to play for, you know. Ever and ever, because the outcomes are kind of endless. Um, yeah. But you know, usually people have a sort of maybe like a goal in mind or something they'd want to achieve. Originally, but maybe because they don't have the time, obviously, in the real life to do these sort of projects within games. Like, if you take like a game like Minecraft, for example, people who have always wanted to build some ginormous behemoth of a a structure or something, and you know they don't have time, but now they do on the deserted island. When it comes to facing like 60 years on a deserted island with the sims what is like the first thing you're going to be wanting to do test out
1: um i don't know i kind of probably the building side of it i think like could kind of build the like perfect city or town or whatever they want all my people the hippie commune. Yeah. And then to and then to create all the characters and then to kind of put them in there and then follow a storyline. I've actually been intending to do this. I don't like I said, I don't play the kind of like people side of it as much. um, But I've really, really wanted to go through having like multiple generations of a family. Which I haven't really done. Like, I get to a point where it's like the Sims have kids, and then the kids get like halfway through school, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so much work. <laughs> <laughs> this is too much life. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, this is, it's a lot of stuff. They need to go to school. They're hungry. There's too many people running around. Like, the house is dirty, you know, and then just, then it just kind of feels like it's too much. So I think I'd really like to do that, like have like kind of like dynasties of generations of people and have this like town that evolves over, you know, however many years or whatever. Whereas now I kind of like, I start and stop and go from scratch pretty much, like, all the time. Like, sometimes I'll go into it being, like, I specifically want this interaction with these types of people. Like, I just want to see what happens if someone's, like, a crazy kleptomaniac, you know, that (laughs) is in a rock band with, you know, a person who cries all the time or something. You know, and just kind of, like, see what happens with it. Um, But then, like, I'll play that and I go through, like... I also binge play games a lot because when I do have free time for it, I'm really, like, okay, I'm going to spend, like, four days straight sitting and playing this thing, and then I won't pick it up again for, like, months. Um, So a lot of times by the time I'm coming back to it, I've kind of already, like, changed my mind about what I want to be doing or what I feel like building or something. And so I think if I was really, like, sitting down and just had, you know, years and years and years to do that stuff, then I could be a little more like, okay, well, I'm going to start with building this house here and do this thing here, Um, you know, and build. Like, I was talking on the, the podcast that I did the other day. I spent six hours building what I call the world's best bar, um and so like that's that's one structure right you know um so you just kind of extrapolate that and just build like this entire kind of world and all the people instead of having it auto-populated which is (laughs) what a lot of it is now yeah but
0: speaking of building then um i mean you can build houses and stuff like that in the sims but it's not like super extensive to the sense where you're like building a you know a whole city so i think maybe we should start talking about the next game then because yes. we do have a very running theme with these games, <laughs> I think maybe it's like simulations and management. Um, I don't yeah. know if listeners will be able to tell by the end of this, <laughs> but let's talk about the next game after listening to some music, and also about the deserted island in which we're going to send you. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. So Kelly, before we start talking about the second game on your list, uh, a game that involves much more building, of <laughs> the building variety, um, we need to talk about the deserted island in which we're going to send you to. I mean, okay. we're giving you eight games, so we're, we're kind enough. We're not, you know, banishing you to be mean or anything. It's just part of the show. Um, yeah. So we allow you the choice of deserted island and where you're going to be sent. So it has Ooh. to be a place from video games, though. It has to be Ah. a place or realm. It doesn't have to necessarily be an island. Um, It just has to be a a place or a realm from video games with the caveat that it is, of course, deserted. There Uh is no NPCs or characters to help you out. But if you choose a place that is known for having uh, difficult wildlife, uh, let's say, or monsters, they will be there because that's Ah. part of the wildlife, right? You know, when you go oh, to a deserted island, you don't know if yeah. there's going to be dangerous animals or such. Um, so if you pick somewhere, for example, if you pick like Far Cry, uh, like Far Cry 3 or something with all the dangerous tigers and stuff like that, well, they would be there. So you have to be a little careful about the choice of where you're going to go. But do you have anywhere
1: that springs to your mind immediately? Actually, my literally my first thought was, oh my God, Yoshi's Island. <laughs> but I you think it might just be Yoshi's? because there's an yeah, cause there's island in the name, but... Honestly, like, I actually might stick with that. I kind of like the idea of it being Yoshi's Island. That was, that's what I was kind of saying a little bit before. Like, I didn't kind of pick my, like, you know, many, like, nostalgia favorites kind of thing. But Yoshi's Island was a big, was a big game for me when I was a kid.
0: So you can have a little bit of that without having to choose it. you also get the wonderful, beautiful aesthetic of that game. Yes.
2: Yeah, and yeah, I'm going to stick with the It'd be great Yoshi's if you island. could
0: have the music, too. I've always thought I know, about... I know, When guests choose, like, sort of maybe retro or maybe sort of older games that have incredible soundtracks, um, like, there should be, like, a Switch on the island where they can turn, like, background music on or off. I mean, you wouldn't want it on all the time. That would drive you crazy. But if you had, like, a little Switch so you can have, like, the excellent Yoshi's music in the background, I think that would be great.
1: I think I could listen to Super Mario Bros. 2 forever. <laughs> <laughs> the so soundtrack for it. It's I love so it, yeah. Yeah, I really, really, really love it. So I'm sure I am sure, I say that now, 30 years into it, I'd be like, stop this, <laughs> stop this infernal racket.
0: Having torn your ears off.
1: I you know, know exactly, exactly. Cut out
0: your ear canal to try and not listen to it anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, well, okay, so we're going to be sending you to Yoshi's Island, the wonderful, colorful aesthetic of Yoshi's Island. Um, yeah. And the next game that you're going to be playing there involves a lot more building as I mentioned. It's a game that released back on the PC and also came out for Xbox One and PS4 um, back in 2015 and earlier this year on Xbox One. And actually, the PlayStation 4 version is not coming out until this very month. So, there are two game, two simulating games that you can play on console this year uh, if you have not got a PC. This game was developed by Colossal Order and is a city building game that was also published by the wonderful sort of I don't know if they're the simulation kings, but definitely strategy <laughs> and management kings in Paradox Interactive yes. is, of course, Cities Skylines. Yay! <laughs> another another woo oh my God. I know, I know. All these games make
1: me so happy. They're like the <laughs> things I just sit down and play this play all the time. I mean, I think Cities Skylines is a pretty small team, right? So I don't know if we yes. want to totally count that as indie, but I would. I would a little bit.
0: I, I think so. I mean, published by Paradox. I mean, in recent years, Paradox have definitely become... A sort of big publisher in Europe, especially yeah. for st- strategy games and their own games and sense. And they've been around for a long time, but it wasn't. It wasn't until a few years ago they were still quite a small team. But Colossal Order are quite a small team.
1: Yeah, I think they're a yeah, Finnish so this... team.
0: In um, Finland, I I'm think.
1: Not... Yeah, I'm not really sure, but I feel like I want to believe that to be true. <laughs> so I'm just gonna say this this is a little so. like I do this with bands too. I I don't really like like stuff that I really like. I don't spend a lot of time like kind of looking into the people that make it. I guess which is very funny because that's oh mostly, I like, I'm what my the job complete is opposite.
0: I do I do that all the time. I'm like I wonder what, what this song is, and I'll listen to a song once, and then I'll spend three hours googling like <laughs> the producer and who the person who did it and then interesting history about them. I, I don't know why I do that. I just do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people do. And I'm kind of the opposite where I will like listen to the song for three hours straight <laughs> and then not look at anything. I only, won't even like look at what they only look like. then look at
0: the band that sang it. <laughs>
1: yeah exactly
0: who that was
1: (laughs) yeah every once in a while like once a year or something I'll sit down and I'll watch music videos for stuff that I liked in the last year and I always come out of it like with a 50 50 feeling of like ooh, now I like that song a little less because the video is kind of (laughs) lame or ooh, I like this a lot better because it was you know not what I was expecting kind of thing so sometimes I feel like it ruins the magic a little bit
0: so talking about City Skylines then and developers you don't know about um Why are you taking this game? I mean, it's kind of obvious in terms of a deserted island sense, but why personally does City Skylines over all other city building games? Because there are quite a lot of them now, um, especially considering before we started the show, you had a sort of choice between Sim City 4 and this one. Yeah. Uh, And City Skylines had it beat.
1: Yeah, so the Sims uh, are the like just simulation games in general. So Sim City, Sim Ant, Sim Tower all that sort of stuff when i was really little um we always had computers in our house like my dad worked in the military but um once we were kids you know he kind of stopped doing like combatty type stuff and was doing more like going to graduate school and he was um worked on like the pentagon very early internet stuff super into computers and like sim city to him was an educational game and so i remember playing sim city on like a giant floppy disk and, like, on the Super <laughs> Nintendo. Um, and it kind of being this thing that was, like, I don't know, like, it was a, an educational game that, to me, was, like, fun. And, you know, goes back to the kind of systems testing stuff and learning about, you know, how do all these things interact and, and interplay with each other. And so SimCity is another game I've been playing, you know, since I was a little kid. Um, and SimCity 4, I spent a lot of time playing that one I think out of all of the sim cities that's probably the the best the best one out of all of them and it was the one that I felt like I actually like beat and I'm making air quotes um because I had worked on like a single city for you know a year and a half or two years or something like on and off and I got it to a point where I felt like it was like perfectly balanced it did all the stuff that I wanted to it had all the systems and all the transport and everything that I want in it and so I was actually kind of debating back and forth on that because I was like I kind of beat this game even though like it's hard to beat like a sandbox you know of a game yeah um but I think what City Skylines does so when SimCity 5 came out it was kind of like I didn't actually even play it because it just sounded so like kind of disappointing you know and uh a friend of mine actually bought me they had Tropico on sale or Tropico 4 or 5 or something on sale like when that came out as a basically like Hey, if you wanted to play Sim City 5 and it's not good, here's Tropico. So I spent a lot of time playing Tropico. Um, and then when City Skylines came out, it was kind of like, it was really nice. It was like a little bit of like a breath of fresh air into the kind of like Sim City style of games. Cause even like you were saying, there are a lot of these like city building games out. Like Sim City is definitely the, the standard yeah, of like where absolutely. all this stuff comes from. And like Sim Tower, like there was a game that was in the Mega Booth recently called Project High Rise. And it was like, It was perfect. It was essentially just like a modern spiritual successor to Sim Tower, which I had assumed somebody would have made it in the last 15 or 20 years or something. But, you know, it just didn't happen for various reasons. And I think City Skylines is kind of is is that and one of the things that I find really interesting in it between SimCity and City Skylines is that SimCity tends to focus more on the metropolis management. So like the kind of early the early stages of the city that you're building are a little less important than what you do when you manage it on the bigger scale and so you can definitely make like you know bad decisions very early on like oh I started building this one big highway through here or whatever and now however many hundreds of years into <laughs> into the city it's become a problem <laughs> um but I don't find the like kind of metropolis management side of it as kind of interesting like I said I more just kind of like want to balance it or see if I can get everything to like be working kind of properly together. Where City Skylines, I think, focuses a lot more on the early, like, kind of town and district building and, like, and I, I just thought it was, like, it was really, really, really interesting to spend more time on that part of it. And it actually kind of, for me, spawned my one kind of, like, video game idea where, um, you know, you're spending, say, 10 or 15 hours building, like, the kind of early parts of your city and you're like, ooh, this tree goes here and then this district is called this and then I follow this sim back and forth to their house um, and then you get partway through where it's starting to grow and you're just like, I had like bulldozed over like a district that I'd cared very, very much about at the beginning of the game. And I was like, whoa, what happened there? <laughs> like, I was really, really, really concerned about like all the individual people that lived here, what color the cars were and all that. And then, you know, however many hours later, I'm just bulldozing it. Like I'm just some like, sort of cap- capitalist mm, crazy. You know, let's, let's get rid of these yeah. guys.
0: Let's just move these guys. Can you yeah. like, create natural disasters and stuff like that in this game?
1: Um, I don't know if you can. I never really kept those turned on for SimCity either. Um, okay. Not that I would turn them off. I, I'm, I actually, Honestly, I don't even know. I feel like maybe you can. And that was actually the other thing on why I was between SimCity 4 and City Skylines. Because even though I've played a lot of City Skylines, I haven't played nearly as much of it as I've played the, like SimCity. So I'm a little like, ooh, is it actually going to be a game that I could sit down and play forever, or am I going to get 150 hours into it and be like, oh no, it's not as deep of a city as SimCity or a game as SimCity was? But I I have faith in it. Like I I feel like they made a lot of the right decisions. And I don't know if I'd have access to the to the internet, but the Steam Workshop uh, integration in City Skylines is super 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 good because like I never really got into any modding with SimCity. Um, Mostly it's like. The Sims modding, like I said, was a little more kind of like fashion, makeup, hair based stuff where like City is a little more like, you know, building structures, like the, the kind of aesthetic of like the architecture in the game, Yeah. which to me wasn't ever really something that I cared so much about because I wasn't trying to like recreate a specific city. I was just interested in like the functionality of the city. Okay. So um, you're not
0: trying to make like a perfect Blade Runner, Neo, Tokyo, yeah. futuristic style.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just, just a
0: nice functional city.
1: Yeah, but city Skylines has really good, like, Steam Workshop integration and also kind of allows for issues with, like, systems of, you know, how you manage transportation or something like that. Like, there's a a mod that you can get that makes the UI easier to understand or something like that. So I think it actually has a really good kind of, like, um, you know, development community and mod community kind of, like, working together thing to, like, make the version of the game better you know overall as opposed to just like kind of straight up just like putting skins on the buildings or something or just changing yeah. like a little bit of stuff um yeah so I, I really yeah so city skylines is something that's like like i said i've, I've definitely played enough of it <laughs> or i've played a lot of it um but to I'm, at least understand
0: that taking it to a yeah. deserted island forever is a good a good idea
1: yeah exactly. not hitting
0: not a hitting and hope which some people do They're like yeah this game seems interesting and i've always wanted to check it out and then maybe in yeah. five years time you're like ah fuck yeah <laughs> yeah
1: exactly and I, I feel like with that and there's another actually the next game on my list is kind of the same thing is I feel like there's like a little bit of a kind of like renaissance of these like sim style games which I'm super 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 happy about and a lot of it them have been really good. To be. yeah and they've been like good spiritual successors because like I said a lot of these games for people like me that play this type of stuff you only get a new game once every like four to five years or something so there's like a long wait between this stuff and it's really like it's hard to find the stuff on mobile it's hard to find like ones that are well made or like thoughtful and so when you do come across them it's kind of like very special but a lot of them have just been like these big you know chain kind of like dynasties of games and a lot of them have gotten kind of stale because they're on like the third fourth fifth version of the game yeah um and now it's just kind of become like you know at some point like the sims 3 turned into like a microtransaction you know disaster kind of thing it was just like constantly like flashing gold things at you and trying to get you to buy shit in the storefront and it was doing all the stuff where it's like no i just love this game and i will pay you any amount of money things Yeah, yeah to like yeah to stop doing this and so i think that was kind of like where SimCity 5 seemed like it faltered a bit where they were like shoehorning a lot of like random things into it into a fan base who is like already super 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 dedicated and really rabid for this kind of content um and, and it's then weird because like- it's like
0: in games like that where the pace is so slow it's mm-hmm. like it's not like hours of, it's not like an hour of play or two hours of play it's literally days of play these are games yeah. that people play for you know two weeks non-stop and then they don't touch for maybe like a year it's not like yeah. a game someone comes to every night for like an hour and plays, like, a few games of multiplayer or something like that. So doing stuff like microtransactions in games like that and stunting the pace or even trying to make money off these people who only play in large stints is so weird. It just doesn't even make any sense.
1: Yeah, and so I think that there was a lot of, like, there was a lot of frustration and kind of backlash on that when The Sims started doing it. And I had actually rolled back versions of my game to, like, earlier versions when they, like, before they had included some of the, like, in-game store options and stuff like that. Um, and I think, I think SimCity Five actually wasn't that. Wasn't that also EA? Like EA bought Maxis. A lot of these games are Maxis. There was one. Games, I so can't like, remember
0: yeah. if if it was SimCity Five, but one of them was an absolute disaster, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that was Five. <laughs>
0: was that Five? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was just yeah. like a disaster, and it came out at yeah. almost the same time as as uh, oh, I can't remember which one it was. Wasn't SimCity Five though just called like SimCity? Didn't they just like rebrand it?
1: Um, maybe. I'm not really sure. It had, like, some, like, online all the time kind of thing yes. going on. And yeah, like... yeah, because
0: they, yeah, they re, it was, like, because I remember EA saying it was, like, a reboot of the franchise, and yeah. then they didn't name it SimCity 5. It was, like, SimCity again, and it was an absolute...
1: Yeah, it was really, Disaster. and it was kind of like disappointing. And I feel like that and like The Sims 3 doing the kind of microtransaction y stuff was all sort of happening at the same time. And I think that was not, that li- weird I mean, this era is like.
0: Where yeah. they, everyone realized they could start making microtransaction money, and then every yes. game had for like a year fucking had it.
1: Yeah. And and I think that like the community of people who play these kinds of games are like, Hey, I've been loyal to this franchise for fifteen years. Like, why are you trying to melt two ninety nine out of me yeah. for something stupid? <laughs> you know, that doesn't add anything to the gameplay. Like why you- like if you look for like the Sims, like mobile or SimCity or something like that, like they're all like Yeah, they're very, like, microtransaction-y, like, city builders, like, in the iOS kind of sense. It's weird because, like,
0: like, maybe on iOS and stuff like that, there is a sort of market to do that kind of thing. I can can understand that. And I understand that companies need to make money, which is fine. But when it comes to games like this, and also let's take a game like Skyrim, for example, where Bethesda have tried to control, like, modding and tried to make money out of the modding. It just does not work. And...
1: Yeah, games. It just really like yeah, it just upsets a really loyal fan base. Essentially, it
0: it upsets people who play every single day. But it also is it just doesn't work against a a culture because modding is like a culture. It's like an aspect of the video game industry that is way beyond just installing some funny like mods that make the gravity go weird. Like there are people who get their start in the games industry by making mods for games like this and then showing it off as part of their portfolio and stuff like that so when companies try to i don't know make microtransactions that are essentially like mods that you can get for free off steam workshop and stuff like that and it clashes against that it just it's so weird and doesn't work very well i don't know why yeah, they and do I've, it
1: yeah i mean i kind of understand and like in a grander scale you know like if the game has been around for a long time it's bought by you know the second or third party to own the franchise or something and they realize that they have this like kind of cash cow that will keep making money you know like i think that's one of the problems why like vc investment has been like kind of an awkward thing for developers and stuff to take on is because a lot of times there's no guarantee of a return on investment with a game because it's an artistic medium right like it's a little hard it's a little harder to do that if you're not on, like, a triple-A scale. And so a lot of times what would happen is you would see games that were VC-backed, and then they would just cram microtransactions into it or some yeah, sort just of, all like, of a sudden you would coin a system. Yeah. yeah, which it didn't match with it, but they kind of... It's hard to pitch it to, like, traditional kind of VCs or people outside of the games and tech industry because there's no guaranteed, you know, ROI associated yeah. with it. And so they're like, well, if you add this kind of transaction into it, then our research has shown that you get a 0.05% you know, increase of <laughs> blah, 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 which at least is something other than just saying, hey, you might dump a ton of money into this and nothing will come of it. Or you could dump a bunch of money into it and it could be Minecraft. Yeah. You know, is like, is a really kind of hard, confusing sell. And so- It is weird because was, I
0: feel yeah. like this j- type of genre as well, like management and simulation and especially games that are on PC, they're so used to, players are so used to being able to install free mods- that I would like to see what the percentage of return of profit is on making um, microtransactions for games like this because when you have the option to just install free mods whenever you like compared to like paying for stuff that is similar, just
1: yeah. And like, I don't mind so- paying the modders for content, you know, or like yeah. paying to download packs or something like that. And actually, to be fair, like The Sims 4, I think, has actually done a really good job of that. Like, they stopped the kind of like flashy, obnoxious, like you know, iOS version of, um, you know, buy this now in-game kind of thing, and they just make it very seamless and easy to purchase additional content, and they're, like, kind of constantly coming out with it in a way that's not really, like, uh, invasive. And so I've actually... I've probably spent more money on The Sims 4 than I've spent on any other versions of them, and I felt not bad about it. You know, like, I didn't feel kind of, like... Taken advantage of or preyed on or whatever, I just kind of feel excited. I mean, I'm also like, you know, in my mid 30s, and I have more disposable income than I did when (laughs) when I first started playing the game. It's like Um, that time
0: when I mean, I'm not going to admit anything, but it's like that time when you leave university (laughs) and you don't pirate games anymore because you have exactly,
1: (laughs) yeah, and like, and that was the thing that I started doing, yeah, like basically right out of school, and like The Sims was always like you know, a a series of games that I would always pay for. And there were, like, certain things where it's, like, you know, I always paid for Nine Inch Nails albums because I was, like, they're my favorite band ever, so I want to, like, support them kind of thing. Um, You know, and, like, when Radiohead did that, like, pay what you want for in rainbows and stuff, like, that was, like – that was a huge kind of, like, revolution, you know? It was, like, giving money directly to the creators and giving what you can afford kind of thing. And, like, I I can't even remember the last time that I, like – pirated something you know but when i was doing it it was because i just didn't have the funds for it and some of the games i went back and bought later you know or some of the movies or music or something i went back and i paid for you know and i always sign up for things now to like do that sort of stuff and so i mean it could just be that i'm you know in a kind of different life situation but um games games like this for me like if you are going to invest four or five years into something like i would honestly pay like a hundred dollars for a really good version of SimCity on mobile. If I could play it on my iPad or something. Cause like yeah. it, cause those kinds of games work, I think really, really well with touch and stuff, especially building. And a lot of times it's like, it's kind of confusing to have to use like a, a mouse and a keyboard or whatever to interact with it. Cause it doesn't intuitively make a lot of sense. Um, so it's, it's kind of actually like incredibly frustrating for me. Like one day I sat down like maybe a year ago and tried to find just like a SimCity style game on mobile. You? And you just you just can't. No. There's no like just build a city game. It's all like you do this, and then you earn this, and then this thing, you click here, and then this does this, and I'm like, I don't want to do any of this. Like I just want to build yeah. a thing on my iPad instead of having it like, stand in front of my computer. Like yeah, yeah. So it's like and I like I said, I think that there's a really big market for this. So I kind of wonder if like around when SimCity 5 was out and like the end the tail end of Sims 3 and into Sims 4, if a lot of people who are kind of like me were like frustrated with it and we're like, well, maybe we'll just make our own version of it because I would imagine it would take a while to complete a game like that. So I kind of wonder if that's like where City Skylines was kind of born out of was this maybe. idea of like, you know, what what can we do to actually advance the genre and make it better instead of like the kind of stale like, um, you know, at some point, if you have something like a franchise that's been going on for so long, you kind of stop being able to take a lot of risks because it's such an established it's such an established thing that any kind of changes become really, really big deal, you know, and you have to yeah. justify it up the chain and, you know, how are the fans going to react or whatever. And so you like have city to skylines call it a yeah.
0: and uh, yeah, fuck it up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You have to call it a gritty reboot. And Batman has to go live in a cave and fight people for 20 years or whatever in the mountains. Um, <laughs> and so like, so, so city skylines, I feel like kind of, it really really does feel like a kind of spiritual successor to what sim city is so for me it's almost like like city skylines is now my sim city you know like sim city stopped being sim city for me after sim city 4 um but when i play city skylines i still it invokes all the kind of like feelings and systems and ideas and stuff that i had you know reminiscing as a kid playing the original sim city and all the way up it's like I just feel like it's the new SimCity, which quite, I think is, is a good compliment. <laughs>
0: which, yeah, I was going to say, because we've seen quite a lot, a lot of that recently. Well, I think in my head that we have yeah. in terms of like games that are spiritual successes to old series that the people who really make the spiritual it. successes yeah. are making excellent games that carry yeah. the genesis of those types that... They played, whereas the like company that have been making them for years have eventually like, I don't know, like butchered it and fucked it up so hard <laughs> that the spiritual successes are the ones that feel the most like the series and they're just made by yeah. fans of that series from years past. And it's kind of what's happened with City Skylines compared to like SimCity. I feel like we're seeing more of that yeah. recently, which is super weird. Uh, yeah. We have yeah, like this I, whole and I mean, breed I'm, of creators. Yeah. yeah
1: and i really love it like i said like the project high rise like the fact that nobody has made or had made a version of sim tower a new one up until now is crazy like i had an emulator on my computer to run windows 3.1 up until like a few years ago to keep playing that game like that game came out (laughs) i was in elementary school or something when that game came out you know and like and there's a whole community of people who still play it and still like it and like still reference it and stuff and that's it's yeah i don't i'm trying to think of like another kind of like game or genre or something that's a little similar Maybe, like, actually, I feel like a lot of the esports stuff might be. I was going to say, like we that. have,
0: yeah, there are, yeah. like, fighting games that have been m- made by yes, yeah. people who are inspired by, like, Street Fighter 2 and stuff like that, or Marvel. Um, also, of course, you have, like, MOBAs, which have been inspired by the strategy games of old and stuff like that. Um, but speaking of, I don't know whether it's very similar, but the next game on your list is kind of like that. Yes. Because um, yeah. the. The, the the very specific niche that this next game fills um, <laughs> was dominated by one series alone yes. for a very long time. Um, and this yes. is a game I didn't even know about actually, um, because Ooh. this developer—pretty new, actually. Yeah, yeah, very new. And this developer has been very heavily associated with their other massive title that they've been doing since they became an independent studio. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game, which is amazing because. The composer for this next game is Jim Guthrie, who is a very famous video game composer and musician. Aww, um, I, did I did not, not know, know it was him. Yes, yeah. um, which is incredibly strange for the type of game that this is. So why don't we listen to some music from Jim Guthrie for this next game, and let's dive straight into it. I said prior to the music, this sort of next game um, is a brand new game that comes in a very specific niche of, uh, you know, construction and management. Of course, we have Kelly on the show, so it's nothing else. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I swear there's more variety a little later.
1: <laughs>
0: we will see. But yeah. <laughs> this is a niche that was dominated by one series for a very long time, the Roller Coaster Tycoon series. Um, But this is sort of a, uh, air quotes again, sort of spiritual successor, very similar to what we were talking about before. Um, But it's developed by Frontier Developments, um, which is the studio in the UK that developed Elite Dangerous and have been sort of doing that game for a long time, which has been a great commercial success for them as well. But this is, I think, their second published game as a sort of independent studio, um, which is... Quite cool. Great to see yep. it in the studio doing so well, especially successful. And this game sold, I think, over way over half a million copies already. And it was only released oh, in November of last year. Um, yeah, good for them. But it is a game called Planet Coaster. And it's a construction yes. management simulation video game where you sort of make your own theme park and create your own roller coasters. Yep. Kelly, yep.
1: so <laughs> why is
0: this the next game you're taking with you? So we, we've gone from making humans and building their houses... Yeah. To making the cities cities. that those humans live in. And now we have to make the fun part for the humans.
1: Yes. So they have to have like a little theme park. Yeah. So this is another one. So like these top, these first three games, these are kind of, uh, honestly, these are games that I just, I've been playing for ages. And so there was, um, there was a game called Theme Park that was made by Bullfrog. Um, Yes. And that was another one that was out when I was like late elementary school, maybe middle elementary school. Um, and that was around the same time as SimCity and I was like obsessed with that game. I loved it. And you could do, they had like, um, you could ride the ride, you know, and it would do like a little kind of like motion video thing, which was like crazy at the time. Um, and yeah, and I just, I love that. And then it became later I discovered rollercoaster tycoon, like the first one. So this is a series I've also been playing for a really long time. And so this one was kind of between the rollercoaster tycoon three platinum edition, which is, has all of the expansion packs in it. And Planet Coaster, which, like we were saying, is a kind of another spiritual successor one. And this is the same thing where, like, I've, I've up until I would say six months ago, I've still played Roller Coaster Tycoon Three. And like, I don't know when that came out. It came out like a while ago. I think I was in college or something when it came out. Um, maybe two thousand three, two thousand four. It, it
0: was a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> the series it was, it was has been around ago. for a long time now.
1: Yeah, and there hasn't really been another like f- you know theme park game and Roller Coaster Tycoon. Three, they had like a, a safari add-on and then like a water park add-on and I spent ages and ages and ages trying to build a water park and then when I got into working in video games and I understood a bit more about game design and mechanics I went back and I played it and it was almost unplayable because I realized that it wasn't me that didn't understand what was going on the tools were just not good um, which was really really disappointing and this is just primarily for like the water park version of it. Um, and so it kind of made it hard for me to play the game after that. And it was a little bit of a bummer. Like I basically had to just ignore the kind of like water park side of it, or I would just make a pool or something like that. Um, and then planet coaster, I, I'm not sure if this is totally true. If I just read it somewhere that I think some of the people who worked on Roller Coaster tycoon worked on planet coaster also, um, Maybe. I, 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 do I like notice. that. Yeah. I like that narrative because I'm like, I kind of feels a little the same way as like city skylines where it was like, there is this empty gap where like these games aren't being made. And the last one that was made was like good, but it was made, you know, 10 years ago or something. Yeah. Um, Or more, I guess at this point. Oh my God. (laughs) 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 The planet coaster is like, you can actually truly build a themed park, which was always kind of hard in the original roller coaster like tycoon games because it was a little more around the building of the roller coasters and a little more like little less on the, the customization and kind of like theme building side of it. And then the physical building tools were really, really, really complicated to use and they were, they were hard to learn. Um, And so planet coaster, uh, there was a definitely a steep learning curve to the building system, but it's really, really, really good out of all the like, out of all the kind of like customizable building tool game things. I mean, I I'd say the Sims four and planet coaster, I'd probably have like the best the best kind of like um tool set that you can use for that and like the theme park that I had been making is like truly themed like it's I drew a map out of it and I have like all these like different sections you know like a pirate section and this section and this section and there's definitely <laughs> some like wonky wonky stuff to it but I also like pre-ordered it and I started playing it like as soon as it was available and so now I've waited a while I'm gonna probably go back and play it again over the holidays this year and kind of see like the new updates and stuff but it's you can really actually truly build a themed park and customize everything and it's easy and it looks cool and so this is another one that was kind of like city skylines where i've definitely played a lot of the game but you know comparatively but i haven't played 10 to 15 years worth of it kind of thing to see like you know if this is going to be my desert island game but i think that there's enough there you know that it would that it could it could be that and it's definitely definitely scratched like that kind of itch where like yeah, every once in a while, I just really, really want to run a theme park. Like, I love amuse- <laughs> I love amusement parks. Like, my mom's house, um, she lives in the middle of nowhere. There's, like, 2,000 people in this town. And there's a locally owned family amusement park called Knoebels. Um, And I went there all the time as a kid, and I just, like, I love it. And we used to – my dad was in the military, and we used to um, move a lot, and we would travel a lot. And every time we took road trips, we would always stop at amusement parks. And so, like, amusement parks are, like, a thing – a thing that I really, really love, and I love going to them. I like the, you know, how they function. I like going on rides. I like all the food. And so, like the idea of building my own, you know, of, running your very of, own yeah. theme park. <laughs> yeah. So, like the 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 famous wooden roller coaster at Knobels, I always recreate it in like every park that I make because it's just like the best wooden roller coaster ever. Um, <laughs> so it kind of it has like this this thing for me, or it just it, it just kind of appeals to me the idea of like managing and running and creating a theme park you know or like an amusement park in some way so it's like sometimes they're like a local park sometimes it's like a disney sometimes it's like a, you know six flags or whatever kind of thing like cheesy summer thing or whatever yeah Um, and
0: in terms of like dealing with all the horrendous things that may go wrong in a theme park are you okay with that
1: yeah i don't mind that i always get voted cleanest park and safest park and i always i mean i sandbox all this kind of stuff like i don't like having restrictions on like I don't care about doing the scenarios or completing challenges or whatever. I just want to, like, I just want to be able to build anything that I want to build with, like, all the tools that are available. And so that's, like, one of the first things I'm just like, all right, well, I'm hiring a bunch of janitors. I'm hiring a bunch of security people. Everyone everyone in my park is going to be the happiest person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Are your parks always profitable?
1: Um, no. (laughs) My parks are (laughs) always losing money, I think. Who cares? cares? Burn the cash. Make the best park. Yeah, whatever. You know, just, it's just another <laughs> cheat code. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all well, abstract, I hope, money
0: I hope Planet Coaster is the deserted uh, the deserted island game for you, the one that you want to take to Yoshi's Island, because unfortunately you've chosen it, and now you have to take it anyway. So yes. I hope it does turn out to be a game you can play for not just like 15 years, but hopefully. I think so. A lot longer than that. Yeah. I hope a lot longer. I think so. But yeah. oh my God, we're going to move on to the next game now. And, um... It doesn't involve building anything know, or management. And it it's more like a traditional game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not that those games aren't more traditional games, but of a completely <laughs> different genre. Um, so yes. let's listen to some music from this next game. So, very iconic music that I think you'll all know. So, let's listen to it and let's dive straight into it. So jumping in now to the next game on Kelly's list, and it's sort of um, not the odd one out. I think there is maybe another game on the list that is maybe also similarly odd in the terms of genres (laughs) that you've chosen. Um, But this game is an action role-playing game that was developed by Bethesda. And no, it isn't Skyrim. It's a game that came out in 2006, and it was one of the original launch titles for the Xbox 360. It also came out on PlayStation 3 and PC. It is, of course, the Elder Scrolls IV oblivion kelly (laughs) oh woo! (laughs) so stepping away from management sims and simulations for now Uh, now we're just gonna like kill things with swords and magic and we're gonna stop demonic gates and all that sort of stuff instead why are you taking oblivion with you
1: Um, so actually funny enough, um, I've only closed like five oblivion gates and I'm only on like level 14 and I basically, I'm just like, I goofed up something with like whatever I picked early. I mean, I have like hundreds of hours in this game, um, but I like wasn't advancing the way I was supposed to. So I can just kind of run around and kill whatever. And it's essentially a like flower picking simulator for me. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: was going to say hundreds of hours and you're only level 14. What have you been doing?
1: I have been picking flowers and making alchemy stuff and like making doing side quests and just random stuff like the the me not leveling up thing is just something I just picked some weird thing that I just never actually use. And so it's the way I actually looked it up because I was like, why am I never like, you know, really actively leveling up in this game? Yeah. Um, and then at some point I was just kind of like I just kind of like cheated the system a little bit because I'd done so many side quests and so much stuff so like all the armor and all the weapons and all the magic and everything that I have is super high level but all the enemies are still like at level like 14 or 15 so I can just kind of like <laughs> blow through like whatever and I kind of like the broken version of the game that I have and so like that's the I've been playing the same the same character in the same version of the game so you know, specifically for ages. it's
0: this save you want to take to the deserted yes. island yeah. <laughs> not just the game but actually, the save yeah. as well
1: Yeah, and I've actually, I've played, I haven't gone back and played Oblivion in a while, because I mostly still play Skyrim, but I think there was, like, a video that somebody made, like, a little music video of, like, I want the the lush, you know, fields of Oblivion back, because Skyrim is a little, like, it's too, like, it's cold, and, yeah, and it's (laughs) kind of, like, not as pretty, yeah, it's really snowy, and, like, I used to live in the Northeast, and I was, like, I don't want to sit inside while it's cold and then play a game about being outside, and you know, just only looking at cold stuff. <laughs> um, and so I think Oblivion Oblivion is the one that like I would wanna it's like a just the alternate world to live in, you know. And I think that when I first started playing it, this was obviously before like I was super I was like in the games industry and stuff too. And I, I remember I did look up like a video where I watched something about it and they were talking about how they really wanted to make it immersive with like the audio and like all the characters and all the worlds. And I really feel like it is like there's tons of books you can read. You know, there's tons of places to explore. I still haven't like found everything on the map. You know, I've even spent a bunch of time trying to kind of like grid it and like find all the little hidden places. And so that, that's like another kind of like it's a practical, it's a practical, like it's an escapism game where I can go off and like do these kind of little silly things and pick flowers and make, you know, alchemy potions and talk to random people and read these weird books or whatever. And I can't imagine really running out of stuff to do. Because I could always just start a new game, which would take me another 10 years.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So have you actually ever finished Oblivion?
1: No. Yeah. That's
0: that's like, you know, at least one thing you can do.
1: Yeah. I have like almost no idea what's going on in the story. (laughs) With it either, like I, I played it in the the beginning part, and then it, Skyrim was the same thing. I got to like you learn the first like thing where you yell or whatever and fight dragons, and yeah it's just like, oh, okay, I don't care about the story anymore. Where's the flowers?
0: Just, Bring me yeah, the exactly. flowers.
1: Yeah, like I want to like run around and like explore this whole like crazy big world. um And actually, I started playing The Witcher three recently, which is kind of ruining the like Bethesda games for me. Yeah, I was going to say that has a
0: lot of flowers too.
1: Yeah, it's a it's essentially like a better version of it, but I that was another one like I haven't actually finished it, so I don't know how I would feel about having it forever kind of thing. Okay. Um, whereas Oblivion, Oblivion is like a little more like the kind of nostalgia. Like you could tell a lot of these games came out kind of around the same time and are things that I've like been playing over like multiple years. Clinging
0: so, on to. You. Yes.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind of like a familiar. I feel like if I got if I was stuck on this island and I was feeling really like depressed about it, that I could go into I could go into Oblivion. And into the Elder Scrolls, kind of like into that world, and it would feel like comforting, you know. And it would give me a lot of things to do and something to take my mind off of, like being stuck on this island. Yeah, so that, just, that was kind just of like having that sort of. From.
0: Although I don't know, because aesthetically, if you think about Yoshi's Island compared to Oblivion, um, grassy, colorful. Yeah. I don't know. I think Yoshi's Island takes it in terms of like comfort blanket, though. But I guess that would be your everyday life.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it would, be a little, it would be a little, like, what, 16-bit or something? Is that what that was? That's true. Um, yeah, or 18-bit, or, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's I mean, a little, less, a little it... less high resolution than Oblivion. <laughs> I
0: mean, does Oblivion look that much better?
1: <laughs> I don't know. That was the thing, is I was actually kind of, like, in my mind, you know, like, my memories of it, it looks like Skyrim.
0: I think Oblivion's, but like, pretty. environments, like, Cyrodiil itself is very beautiful. Just the character yeah. models of the game. They yeah. have not aged very well, I don't think.
1: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's the other thing with Skyrim too. Is I was like, I recognize these NPCs. Like, why have they not? I recognize that NPC and his voice. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, why has this not gotten upgraded? I know. And then I started playing The Witcher, and I was like, oh, like everybody's like a unique physically different looking human that has her own thoughts
0: and emotions and
1: stories and I was like, no, Bethesda,
0: why? (laughs) Oh no, they improved everything, oh no. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh, this is the worst. This game is so much better than this other thing I spent all this time on. (laughs) my
0: illusions. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me then about picking flowers and what is like, because I'm the type of player who really likes the idea of like getting into doing like alchemy and stuff like that and like making potions and being an effective, like, I don't know, alchemist to buff myself yeah. and stuff like that. But then I always either I'm too stupid or too lazy to do such things. What is, like, the I'd... best potion you can make?
1: Um... I don't know. Actually, there's one where it's like, um, I think it's like Nernroots Roots or Ninroots or something. They have them in Skyrim as well. And that like makes a bunch of special potions. I was actually now to like add another layer onto this. I'm basically just like a hoarder in these games. Like I don't, <laughs> I like don't use any of the stuff that I have because I'm not out actually like closing the Oblivion Gates. The only time I go in the Oblivion Gates is to get rarer stuff to make different potions um and there i have a house that i got on a side quest that is just literally every place every piece and area of storage in this house is just full of weapons and armor and flowers and potions and all things that like i just never <laughs> use and i go through and i organize them every once in a while <laughs> <laughs> like i had read this article once about that like um if you have a lot of like i don't know like you tend to overthink or your brain's kind of like over that it's good to do stuff like like arranging photos or like cooking or cleaning or something that like occupies enough of your brain to keep it from wandering off into like a million different directions but not so much that it's stressful and I think that a lot of these games are that to me you know where it's occupying like 75 or 80 percent of my mental energy and it's like enjoyable enough that it's keeping me from worrying about, you know, the, the email that I sent and how somebody's gonna misread it and <laughs> then the company's gonna go under and everyone's gonna hate me and going you know, into like your like yeah. house with all your trinkets <laughs> yeah. is like Yeah. Oh, I can breathe again. Yeah. And then just being like, okay, well I'm just gonna move all of the potions into this store and then I'm gonna organize this in a better way and then I'm just gonna go like wander around and, you know, collect this kind of flower that I'm looking for. I'm gonna go explore this other area or something. And so I think it's a little like it's a little more of that than it is the kind of, like, practicality of being, like, really, really good at using the alchemy potions. Okay. Like, I'm thinking of it. I don't even know if I've ever, like, even used any of the stuff i <laughs> You just
0: made lots of potions and tidied them on your shelf uniquely yeah, by I f- color.
1: I know. I feel like now, like, that I'm partway through this podcast, I'm like, people are going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> i <Like, I'm> like... <laughs> make my own people and then i make my own cities i make my own theme park and then i arrange flowers for 150 i mean hours. you play
0: games however you want to play games don't let anybody tell you any different yeah but speaking of that's crazy actually though, one of my
1: biggest like pet peeves is people being like you're playing it wrong and no, like, there's, no such thing. there's no such thing
0: yeah, yeah. play games how you want to play thing. them if that's exactly. if if, the, if it's in the game designed by the creators then it's a way to play exactly like that's exactly. how it is It's just how it is. But speaking of crazy, there was a video doing the rounds, I think, like on Twitter and stuff like that, maybe like two or three weeks ago. That was like a, I don't know if you saw this, it was like a five hour breakdown analysis of Oblivion.
2: Whoa.
1: Someone had created a
0: five hour, literally five hours, a breakdown analysis of all of Oblivion.
1: Wow. Yeah, I should watch it because I don't know if I'm ever going to actually beat the game. You know, so it'd be cool to like hear what actually happens in the rest of it. I mean, come
0: on, you've got like sixty years on a deserted and you? You're gonna have to. Yeah, that's true. I would. Def- I would
1: definitely. I would finish it. I think. Yeah, I don't know.
0: You could make your own like follow up to this person's video, like with a, like a ten hour long video <laughs> after after like sixty years com- of playing. Yeah, a play coming game.
1: to you from the deserted island. I spent thirty five years <laughs> coming playing live this game. from
0: Yoshi's island.
1: Yeah. <laughs> with
0: no no help me or SOSs in the video because that's not allowed. You're not allowed. To yeah. Do that. You're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to tell yeah. people where you are. That's against the rules.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair.
0: <laughs> but we are going to move on to the next game now. And we're moving back onto the sort of sim. Well, I don't know, actually. This game is kind of. Yeah. This is more steeped in strategy than anything. It's of a very similar vein, I think, to the previous games. And people yeah. can sort of see maybe why you like it. Um, But it's an excellent game anyway, and a game I truly have spent way too many hours playing. And I actually, every time I even look at the box art for this game, I want to play it again because I like it so much. Um, But (laughs) let's listen to some music for this next game, and let's dive straight into it. jumping back into management sims and the like yet i mean it's kind of similar it falls under a sort of very i think if you did steam recommended also like this title i think maybe it would come up if you looked at the other games on your list i think um but this is more a a typical strategy game It's a 4X game that was developed by Firaxis and published by 2K Games. It's the fifth entry in the wonderful Sid Meier Civilization franchise and released back in 2010. It is, of course, the excellent, one of my favorite PC games of all time. Civilization V. Kelly.
2: Yeah,
0: woo hoo. Take those little woos out. They're great and put them behind everything I do in my life. (laughs) Every time I like do something productive, I just play like a little Yeah woo in (laughs) the
1: I know, and I just carry around your like intro of me everywhere. So (laughs) you were mutually
0: beneficial on this podcast. Excellent. Exactly. But taking Civ five with you, um, we're sort of changing it up again. We've had, you know, your action RPG that you pick flowers in. Now, my question is: Do you play Civ Five like everyone else plays Civ Five, or do you have some sort of quirky and unique way that you play Civ Five?
1: Um, I don't know. I, I'd actually say I probably play it fairly traditional. Um, so this is the game that
0: you play like everyone else.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like it's kind of um, it's funny because I actually bought Civ Three. Um, back in the day and it was around the same time when The Sims first was out and like everyone that, everyone that I knew that played video games which actually wasn't like a giant amount of people um, was like oh you would like this game or you know you should play Civ but this is kind of like I think the internet was just a thing but I, I didn't really like correlate that I could kind of like learn about how to play a game by just looking it up online and I was trying to teach myself through the little like booklet thing and I, I tried it a bunch and I was just like I just don't I don't understand what's happening, you know, like it wasn't a style of game that I'd ever even heard of or that I I knew. It was just like, I don't know. And so Civ Five actually had a, a friend of mine teach me how to play it and sit down and play it. Um, and then uh, my boyfriend now, we actually play it a lot together and he kind of taught me the like higher level version of the game. And so once I understood like what was supposed to be happening with it, I was just like, yeah, totally obsessed with it. Like, when I first started playing it, I did a bunch of, like, early kind of, like, scenario testing, I guess. Like, I tried all the different sizes of maps. I tried all the different things. And I would go, like, 30, 40 turns in just to kind of, like, see what was happening with it. And to me, it yeah. feels a little like like chess or something almost. Mm, kind um, of, yeah. Where you're, like, you have to make, like, str- like early kind of decisions that affect stuff, like, later on. And you have to be thinking, like, like there's a, a quote where... um You know, they ask, like, some Grandmaster or something, like, you know, what, like, how many moves do you see ahead? Because, like, the idea is that, like, if you're a novice, you see, like, two or three moves ahead. If you're a master, you see, like, five or six moves ahead. And he's like, I only see one move ahead. I see the right move. And it's like, ah, got it. Um, But I feel like Civ is a little bit like that. Like, if you make, you can make a bad decision on turn 30 or 10 or something that just totally screws you, (laughs) like, way later. Um, And so I think I like... I like that kind of like aspect of it. I've actually only finished probably two games of it. Um, like I mean, that's like still pretty good because. Yeah. That's like long. two yeah.
0: 20 hour plus games. That's. Yeah. It's like two separate, unique RPGs, you know?
1: Yeah, that's exactly. There was um one of my friends that tweeted once who something like, you know, famous last words is one more turn in Civ 5. Because <laughs> it becomes like. Yeah, it comes almost like addictive. Like, okay, just one more, just one more, just one more. I'm going to see what happens, going to see what happens. Um, have you ever played a board game called Twilight Struggle?
0: I have not. I haven't even heard of it.
1: Uh, it's it was really good. I just recently started playing it, and I kind of got a f- similar feeling to playing that game the sa- the same way that I got playing Civ 5, I think, where there's a lot of kind of like long-term strategy in it. It takes a long time to complete a game from start to finish. You can make a mistake early on that like you know, has these kind of like cascading effects into it. Um, yeah, so I think for for me, like Civ, Civ Five is one of those things that I like actually playing against another person. Um, but the AI on it and playing against a computer, I think, is really fun. And so that it kind of opens it up for like endless scenarios. I'm also kind of dumping in the like, you know, the extra content and stuff too. Like they had like a religion one and like yeah, you know, something else expensive. added like a bunch Gods and
0: Kings new... and
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm kind of throwing those in those. Yeah, they were really good. And I think it it really added an interesting like kind of play dynamic to it. And so I guess in my mind of this, like, you know, I'm on the desert island kind of thing, like I can play the baseline version, or I could play with the extra stuff and kind of like try out new things with it. um, You know, because like some of the religion stuff and some of the, the ways to like the wind conditions, I haven't really like met. Aside from just, like, okay, we've gotten to the end of the number of turns you're supposed to take kind of thing.
0: <laughs> ah, okay. So you haven't, like, done the whole nuke everyone else, like, Gundy type yeah. thing? Yeah. Yeah, Have you, have you actually yeah, exactly. ever done any of those? Like, beaten the space race or something?
1: Um, I don't know, actually. I don't think I have. I think it's more just, like, just ended at some point. And that's another one I've, like, started and finished a lot more games, I'd say, than I've, like, gone all the way through to completion. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more to explore in the game and I haven't actually played Civ 6 yet, which is why, I mean, maybe it would be on here, you know, if I would played it, but I feel like that's one of those, like, I'm not quite ready to move on from Civ 5 yet. Yeah, it's funny VI, actually, VI because be there, I've, kind of thing.
0: it's funny you say that because actually sitting here now thinking, I haven't even played Civ 6 myself. I ha- I haven't, because it came, what was it, last, this year, or last year, it came out?
1: Um, End of last yeah, year it was I like, think? yeah, it was like a year or so ago and like, um, one of my friends had played it and it, it sounds like it's, it sounds good. Like it doesn't, but I I think it's almost kind of like.
0: Yeah. We, we've we had it on the like, show before. Someone has chosen it. So I yeah. just can't, I just don't know why I haven't played it yet. <laughs> Which is yeah, so strange I mean, some, considering how much I love yeah. 5. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There's some games that are like that. Like I said, I don't think I'm quite ready to like be done playing Civ 5 yet. And so like, I, I feel like moving on to Civ 6 is something that I want to do in like a year or two kind of thing. And I feel like I did that with, um, SimCity. Too. And there's like a few other games that I've been like that where I'm like, oh, you know, I'll play the next version of it after I've kind of like worn myself out on this. Everyone, one. and the fact that I haven't gotten there yet, you know, yeah. says a lot to me.
0: Everyone definitely has their preferences. Like, I know a lot of people, like, when I talk about Civilization, I say, oh, you know, I love Civilization 5 a lot. People are like, oh, no, Civilization 4, yeah. I had the perfect UI, everything was perfect. When it changed to the tile based system, it was weird. And but this was kind of great. And yeah, people definitely, especially with like, simulations or building stuff everyone has Mm -hmm. their own preferences for sure i'm not sure it does seem to be specifically not obviously not just this genre but very much so this sort of niche with like simulation games everyone has like a favorite and they sort of don't tend to move on very much.
1: Yeah, well, I kind of yeah, I feel like people cuz one of my one of my other friends really likes Civ 4 and I think it's it's almost kind of the same way that I was saying like like Oblivion has like the nostalgia factor for me. If there's like the one that really resonated with you that was like the one that you played a lot, um, I could see kind of like being not really stuck on it. But just not needing or desiring the changes that get made in the subsequent Yeah, I think it's like feature
0: set, isn't it? Because like, especially earlier games, they had a lot of features. They cram so much into it. And then as the games go on, they sort of make... Like, especially I think Civilization VI strips away quite a bit. Um, Mm. And is gives you a sort of maybe I don't want to use the term like streamlined experience, but definitely yeah. definitely a bit more limitation in what you can actually do and more focused on actually playing the game. Um so I'm not surprised that people cling to sort of older simulation games and just are happy with what they have. Because those games essentially are still endless. Yeah. You don't have to move on to be able to make like eighty different cities or Yeah. And that kind of thing. So hmm
1: Yeah, and I mean, for me, like, Civ 5 is like the one that I've played. You know, like, I tried to play three and it didn't really work. I didn't play four at all. And five was the one that was, like, taught to me and that I've played and enjoyed. Yeah, like, oh, finally this makes sense, kind of thing. Yeah, and I think it would be kind of hard to go back and play, like, you know, three or four or something, knowing that I think it's harder to go back in a genre than it is to, like, go forward, kind of thing. So I'm, I'm almost like, I'm not sure if I would like four in the same way that people who really like it do. Because yeah. I think it would be like a secondary, it would be a secondary experience with me having knowledge of the future of what it's going to be like, kind of thing. Um, uh, and I think okay. it would be hard. Yeah, I think it would be hard to like kind of retroactively go back because I think I'd be looking for features and things that I like about 5. Yeah. And it would be know, like, this was in introduced in, in 5. Yeah.
0: Ah, yeah. That's why I like 5 so much. That's why 5 makes more yeah. no sense to me. Yeah, Yeah. That, I mean, like, like in the same way that it's kind of...
1: Yeah, like it's kind of in the same way that like in movies and film and stuff like that. Like you could definitely really like, you know, Casablanca or something. But for it to like be your like favorite movie as like an adult, you know, who's our age or something, is a little hard because <laughs> just the you know the acting style, like visually how it is, like like things have just progressed from them. But it doesn't mean that you you can't like appreciate and understand and enjoy where the where the original kind of like. But I mean, sometimes whatever going it came that- from.
0: I mean sometimes you have to go back though if you think like
1: oh yeah Terminator
0: yeah. 3 Indiana Jones 4. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there,
1: yeah, like those still those Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But I'm just like I think like techn- like technologically too I think it's a little hard with games.
0: I think um, I, in terms of like technology yeah. it, it's definitely a thing. Um it is weird because we've gotten to this sort of plateau, I think, in video games where even when you take a step back to like the PS3, Xbox 360 genre, it still doesn't feel that far removed. Um, yeah. And considering how, uh, you know, city building games and stuff like that have kind of looked the same for a very long time because there's only so yeah. much you can do with that art style, I guess it all comes down to features and not aesthetics, which is what some people would think would be difficult with going back to older video games.
1: Yeah, I think probably The Sims is the only one where really, like, it visually was looking a lot better as it was going. And actually, one of the things with 4 that people really kind of, like, initially didn't like was that the neighborhoods. You can't, like, kind of walk around in them. Like, you have to go between different lots and different stuff. But it runs so much better. Like, it actually, like, functionally runs and works better than any of the other games. Like, I felt like they overhauled a whole bunch of, like, old you know, infrastructure of the game or something that had been kind of, like, duct-taped together over the years. <laughs> um, and so I definitely think it was, like, a giant, giant improvement. Um, so I'm kind of a... I don't think probably, like, Civ, I would imagine, doesn't have too much of that, and it's a little more of a feature thing. And Oblivion, too, is probably, like, you know, the graphics are updated, and it probably runs better. Um, but stuff like SimCity and Roller Coaster Tycoon and Planet Coaster and stuff like that, like, the beautiful graphics are more like, ooh, the sunset looks pretty you know, kind of thing. Like, there's not really, there's not too much to so, improve yeah. in the kind of, like, yeah. isometric... All you're looking way. at is the
0: numbers of how yeah. the city is doing and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So it makes yeah. more sense. And,
1: like, you can, maybe you can zoom in further or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, City Skyland does have that nice little tilt-shift feature that makes yeah. it look like you have really, really big cities. Like, the scope yes. looks really Yeah,
1: good. which is super cool. Yeah. But
0: speaking of very pretty-looking games and also simulating, um, <laughs> this is a game... That has both, I think, in abundance. It's a very delightful game. And now we obviously, we had making humans. We had building cities. We had making roller coasters. We've had creating civilizations. um, And now we're going to simulate making farms or farming. Um, I mean, of course, why not? (laughs) So let's listen to some wonderful music from this next game. And I think most of you will be able to guess what it is. So let's dive straight into it. So the next game on kelly's list is a delightful game that released last year i can't believe it's been over a year since this game released originally on pc february of last year it's since been released on playstation 4 xbox one with also a nintendo switch version coming that i cannot wait for because i love playing games on the switch and this is like the perfect game for that console it is the sort of indie hit that just came sort of i don't want to say out of nowhere but considering the genre and considering what this game is heavily inspired by which is games like harvest moon or story of seasons um it just sort of blew up out of nowhere it was devised by concerned ape or eric barone under and published by chucklefish it is the smash hit wonderful farming game that is stardew valley
1: kelly This is, this on? is like, the most indie indie game that yes. is on my list, for I sure. Like, like this, this is the yeah. epitome of indie game. This is, like, one one dude just making a game and then just let it out in the world. And, and everyone so was like, funny what? because I think apart from
0: Oblivion it pro- and Civilization, it probably sold more than the other games.
1: Yeah it, yeah, it might have. I mean, like, really, like... And it was funny because I actually was really, like, resistant against playing this game. And so when we reveal what the next game is, that was actually the game I was trying to play um when I like it just wouldn't run on a modern computer and I'd spent days on it and I just had a real hankering for it and um and my boyfriend was like he's like I did some research he's like I looked into some games he's like I really think you'd like Stardew Valley and I was like no I was like I want to play this you know I was like freaking out to play about this it.
0: other game <laughs> yeah I was like I
1: want to play this other thing it's not the same and he's just kind of like in this kind of calm like have you thought about the alternative of just picking a different <laughs> game to play and so then I and he's like, you know, I picked you up a copy or I you know, here's a link for the thing, like make it basically made it as easy as possible. And then I started playing it and then he's like, you know, so what do you think of it? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I like this game and he's like, Well, how long have you been playing it? I'm like, forty hours <laughs> 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 And then it turned into eighty and then it turned into like, Oh my god, I have to stop because I have work that I I need to get done. So this is another like <laughs> no, no, I'm gonna no, pick no. this, this up over the holidays. Game.
0: This is work. Yeah. This is totally yeah, research.
1: Yeah. Well when we do submission reviews and stuff, I mean, we get a couple hundred games and, like, I always, I, I, really will not play games, like, for personal fun, you know, until I'm, like, through all of the submissions and we do the curation stuff. And that happens, like, twice a year or so. There's a lot of times where I'm, like, not playing games like this out of guilt um, and also just out of, like, functionally, you know, is I kind of, I, I dive into this stuff and get really, like, stuck on it. So it just is like, eating up all of my time when I should be working um even though kind of technically could be research but um yeah and this is also like one of the basically one of the only indie games that I've ever like seen done where I see this like I hear this pitch all the time where they're like it's like this crossed with this crossed with this and it does this and every time that I play a game like that it's always just like a jumbled mess of stuff it's like they just took a bunch of things and crammed it in and then they're like okay this is gonna make a good game and like stardew valley is like five different games and it totally works together and it's like kind of a dating sim and it's also like a farming sim but it's also like a weird dungeon crawler and then there's also like you know management stuff and it's just like they took all these things and managed to make it like a really fun interesting game to play um and so the yeah for me this is like another like You can play one character or one farm or one thing or whatever forever. Like, I'm still on my first, I'm still on my first, like, you know, character or whatever that I'm playing. And if you played multiple different other people, like, if you wanted to try and pursue other people in the town and learn people's stories, I feel like there's a lot of, like, replay value to it and a lot of different things that you can do inside of this world. Like, if you're tired of the you know kind of building part of it and you want to do resource management or you want to go and fight creatures in a cave or whatever and you want to do like mining resource like resources or whatever um or you just want to like learn about people's stories or talk to different people like you can do all of it in the same game and all each individual portion of the game is well made and well designed and it's really pretty so it's just like it's incredibly incredibly impressive to me that that was like one person which just blows my mind
0: (laughs) have you uh, had the chance to meet eric
1: no i haven't actually he was um i think nominated for something with igf and he was also at like pax east and i feel like i really want to like just find him and corner him and just like like the the people who did project high rise like i I play that game so much when it came through the submissions and then like uh rios was another game that was made by abby games um where i did the same thing where i'm just like here's a game that I'm obsessed with, and I just find the developer and, like, corner them. And I'm like, here's my two hours of feedback about your game that I played. (laughs) (laughs) You don't hear every single thought about this.
0: Here's my long list of things. I've actually had a chance to speak to Eric because last year we nearly got him on the show, but um, he Uh. was very busy doing Stardew stuff. He had to unfortunately turn us down after a few weeks of trying to get him on the show. Uh. Um, But he was very nice, and he seemed very down to earth and actually one thing I did want to ask you about sort of this being so close to you know indie creators and seeing people especially over five years because five years although in video game development isn't that long I guess in indie space it can be quite a big time and you can see people who create games release them and then then become huge hits like this and yeah you know Stardew Valley was made by one person but it was published by a a company but it sold a lot of copies and made a lot of money Um, in terms of like indie developers who maybe are unknown and then release a game and it, it becomes very successful. Do you sort of give them advice about how to deal with stuff like that? Or do you see sort of weird things happen when maybe they become successful and that kind of thing?
1: Um, you know, what? I haven't seen too much of that lately. Like early on when we were like, yeah, like five games for like video game development time actually isn't a long time, but five games in like tech and like games culture and stuff is like a million years, right? Yeah, like the absolutely. landscape of what things were when we first started the mega booth versus what they are now are just totally different. Like the problems that people are facing are different. Um, You know, the kind of the challenges, the style of game, the discoverability, but like early on, a lot of the the companies and people that we were working with um were kind of on the verge of becoming like these big hits like i met notch a bunch of times you know and like we like right after minecraft was like sort of launching and he was up on the sixth floor in the original like space when the concept for the mega booth you know as it as it currently is was kind of like formed and he was like showing his new game and it was kind of a thing but not really um i'd say probably like the best example of that and someone that i was pretty close to at the time was um it was uh, Alex Bruce who made Antichamber. And that was, like, you know, one person that had worked on the game forever. He sold it, it came out, and it kind of blew up. And Stanley Parable was another one um, that was kind of the same thing. And I think those those were people and developers and and essentially, like, friends that I had early on when I first started working in games. And so it was kind of, like... When I first saw Alex after Annie Chamber launched, I like was like, "Hey, congratulations!" And I saw him, and I was like, "Oh my god, are you okay?" He's <laughs> <laughs> like, basically, like, "No, I'm not." You know, like, he's like this. It was basically like really unexpected. I think a lot of times when that happens, when you're pretty young, like I think there was like kind of a surge of the developers, and they were like around twenty four, twenty five, twenty six. Um, you know, having this thing kind of like blow up and be really successful. It's like it's obviously good. But then it, it creates a set of problems that you kind of, like, don't anticipate for because everybody, like, prepares themselves for when something goes wrong. Nobody really kind of, like, prepares themselves for when it goes really, really well. Yeah. Um, and then that kind of stuff, like, you know, like, now what do I do kind of thing. Like, when I had gotten the job at MIT, that was, like, my dream. And I would like, worked super hard for it. And it was going to solve all my problems. It was going to do all this stuff. Um, and then the, a steam pipe exploded in the maintenance room next to the lab and essentially destroyed the lab. And it like because like basically ended my kind of like job there. like I stayed for a while, but the lab was like not functioning. and Holy um, shit. yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty pretty, pretty like crazy, yeah, it was it was really scary. like uh, it can be really dangerous. Like all of MIT is is heated by steam pipe um, or by by steam heat, and they were doing some maintenance testing or something, and one of the pipes broke, and they couldn't shut it off for like a couple hours, and like people thought a bomb had gone off in the building because it was like an eight inch steam pipe. Oh, God. Um, and it basically made it like rain in the lab and just d- destroyed everything. Oh God! Um, and it was really like it was really, really, really hard to deal with because I was like, I don't actually know what to do with my life now. You know, like this was like my thing this and this is all was I my goal all. and is I was doing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And now it's like gone. And then also, all my problems are still there. You know, like it didn't like <laughs> it didn't solve any of these kind of like underlying issues that I had. And so I think that like. Uh, you know around the time when that was happening um and Davey had this to some extent too I think it's just more that he's a little shy but like um you know he was like this was my entire life and now it's out there and it's and it's popular and I made money off of it and now like now what do I do and that's that's kind of a thing that I think is like it's it's hard I think it's hard to see it you know, like looking at someone being like, well, you just made a bunch of money. Like, why are you bummed out? Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's kind of complicated, right? Like, I don't think that Notch is like a particularly happy person, right? You know, well, and he's like one of the richest people to make money off of video so, games. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He doesn't seem to yeah. be very happy.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, money doesn't solve your problems. And then like when you start to get, especially at like that level of fame or success or something like that, then you don't even know who your friends are or like, you know, what people think of you. So like, when I was saying, like, these were people that I was friends with, like, I'm not really, like, friends with developers in the same way that I used to when I was first starting because now, like, I'm in a position of power in some sense and it's yeah. not really, it's in, it's imbalanced and it's... Like, it when they see of, you,
0: maybe they're yeah. like, oh, no, you could, like, not select my thing for IGF or yeah or if I Which piss was, you off, yeah. maybe I won't get a spot. Of the, yeah, it's that that kind of weird, horrible... Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and like, and to be clear, like, I actually don't have anything to do with selections for IGF stuff. I just like kind of like oversee the the, the operations of it all happening. Yeah, um, but I mean, it becomes, but people won't like, know
0: that, will they? People won't. Yeah, people yeah. won't know that unless you specifically tell them, and then, but that won't change yeah, how they act.
1: Yeah, and so like that. the way people interact with me, sometimes it's like sometimes it's different than it used to be, and then also too like when somebody is like your friend you know, and then they're not selected for something or things don't go the way that they want, then they feel like personally hurt about it. And so it's kind of that like, you know, it's lonely at the top sort of thing. And so I think like, you know, someone like I'm I'm curious kind of how the guy who worked on Stardew Valley is like kind of dealing with it all. You know, if you're a private kind of quiet person, and then suddenly he seems to have done what I think the biggest deal.
0: (laughs) He seems to have done what I think is like, almost the only thing you can do that keeps you level, which is, like, continue doing work on it. Like, he he immediately went back to, okay, now this is a thing. Let's make the the PS4 and Xbox One port. And then he, like, busted that out in, like, six months or something by himself, I think. And then there was the huge update they had. And now he's doing the Switch version, which also has, like, online multiplayer and stuff like that. So I feel like he's just done what he thinks is the only thing that you can do. I think yeah. continue on yeah. what your life is, which is making that game. It's also that yeah, horrible I mean, thing as yeah. well, when if you make a game and it's not successful, where well, you're like, okay, I can do better next time. Mm-hmm. And maybe you won't do, but maybe you do do. Um, but when it, when you make a game and it is massively successful, you're like, oh, now I can make another game. I have the money to make another game, but (gasps) everyone's going to be thinking, is it going to be better than this game? And I don't know if it's going to be better than this game. Even if it is, is it going to be popular? And all those kind of worries fester, I think.
1: Yeah, like the number of indie studios and indie developers who have put out multiple successful games is actually pretty low if you think about it. I think like Um,
0: Vlambeer and maybe... You know, Ed. Super,
1: super giant. Yeah, super Cappy, giant.
0: Cappy, Ed McMillan. Uh,
1: yeah, John Blow. Um, but
0: exactly. And these are all. And the only reason that we can name these people is because they're kind of celebrities within the industry and they're celebrities yeah. in the industry because they're the only people who have to to have done it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it's really hard like that game that notch was working on like scrolls or something like that you know he was kind of trying to make it happen for a while and i think at some point it was just like you know this is just the thing that i'm known for and this is the game that i made and I'm yeah i would think that the pressure it, for that would I'm be really high in a mansion
0: yeah, yeah god so depressing yeah.
1: Yeah. But then like on, you know, on the other side, like I've also seen plenty of people that like do well and they're super grateful about it. Like I'm not saying that none of these people were grateful about it, but like it's not always shitty. You know what I mean? Like a lot of times I think it happens like when we see it happen for teams that we selected for the mega booth. It's like, it's amazing for me to see that because it's like, these are really good people. They were great to work with. They worked really hard. The game was successful. And then a lot of those teams are teams that, like I said, will give back and kind of support Um, through our like alumni scholarship to help to pay for mini booth teams or they help to support other work that we do because they're like hey you know you helped us to get to where we are now and so like we want to give back to the community which now like running this multiple years on has actually become more of like a a thing which is really really nice to be able to see these teams and these people that I worked with over multiple years like do something and become successful and become sustainable and then give back to the community and then work on new things and make new stuff and like I, I really, really love the idea of like everybody kind of helping to support each other and make everybody successful as much as possible. And so that's why I was saying like a little earlier, you know, the idea that like you're going to make a game and it's going to sell millions and millions of copies is really an outlier. Like that's not that's not a really common scenario. But I'd say a more common scenario is that you release the game and you make your money back or you break even. Yeah.
0: Or it's funny because as someone yeah. who is making a game right now, who's someone who's thinking about these problems, it's like these are problems you you are hoping to have (laughs) these are issues you hope you can have but even like the idea of even making the money back or even making enough to make another game is just while you're doing it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen but
1: yeah yeah Yeah, which is is kind of yeah which is like kind of the new like the thing that i think the mega booth and like what i personally want to be helping to address is that like i hate I hate the idea of seeing people do something that's that's really creative and really good and just not being able to match it with the right audience, or yeah. you know, having it released to just kind of like silence, you know, which is mostly at this point just discoverability issues. Like the the early the early version of it was like the trick is to make a good game, and now the trick isn't even to make a good game. There's t- there's, there's so, so many, many good games, games <laughs> that come out that are amazing that don't do well because now the thing is get your good game discovered. So it's like now there's a second. There's a second step to it, where the first step just used to be make a good game. Now it's make a good game and also make sure that your audience can find the game. Yeah,
0: make give it to the specific type of audience, not just like try and market it to everyone like you could in the past if it was a good game.
1: Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, we're gonna change up the game a little bit now. We're gonna sort of talk about a the next game on your list, the second to last game, and I would say that if I saw the box art for this game in a game shop. I would absolutely 100% not pick it up, and yeah. uh, it would look like it looks like one of those Wii uh, party games, like the third-party shovelware stuff that we used to get <laughs> back back during the when the Wii was the king of the game shops. Yeah. Um, but it's a game made by Lionhead, um, and yes. it's very different to what the box art looks like. So let's listen to some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into the second to last game on Kelly's list. Moving on to the second to last game on Kelly's list, and we're talking about a game made by Lionhead. Obviously, unfortunately, the now-defunct Lionhead, but the studio famous for the Fable series. This is a game that released on PC back in 2005, so 12 years ago now. Um, But as I said, yeah, the sort of box art is kind of... It's very third-party shovelware looking. Um, Yeah. But (laughs) it doesn't look anything like what the game actually is. It's a business simulation game called The Movies, where you sort of become your own Hollywood film mogul, I think, running a studio and creating films and such. Yes. So now, after having a successful farming career, you now have enough money to open your own Hollywood studio yes
1: yeah so, so the movies the movies was the game i was trying to install yes. when i ended up playing stardew valley because it turns out it doesn't run on modern computers and as much as many articles and youtube videos and tricks that i tried i could not get it to work on my computer and i physically still have the copy of the game and i have the key written on it you know and i still have the box and everything and it's like and you know what now that you're saying like i won't have even picked up this up in a store i really don't have any idea why or how i got this game I think... Um, do you remember a game called Black and White? Yes. Okay. Which was so also a that, Lionhead game, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I might have bought it because it was, like, the same people or something, and I liked that game when it came out. I mean, it was kind of, like, weird, you know, and it was a little hard to play. Um, sort of like the movies, actually. It's it's not... It's, like, the tools aren't super elegant, but the idea of it is really, really cool. So, like, you... Yeah, so you're managing a a movie studio... But it's like interesting. So you like hire actors and actresses and you hire people to work there. And like it starts off with like 1910, 1920s. And then it actually progresses into the future as you go. So like the technology of the movies at first is like silent movies and black and white. And the type of like actresses and actors that are popular are different than what they are in the 30s and 40s. Oh, and 50s okay. And 60s. That's
0: kind of good. That's kind of interesting.
1: Yeah. And then you have all these things where it's like as your actors get older, like the people don't want to see them in movies as much. And like genres go in and out of fashion. Um, and then, so you're you're building a whole bunch of things, so you build, like, you know, a, a bar and a restaurant and, like, a cosmetic facility, you know, where people can go and get plastic surgery to look, like, younger or whatever. But then you can also, <laughs> b- like, buy and build a bunch of different movie sets, and you can make and direct your own movies. And you do it by, like, so say you want to make a horror movie, you can buy, like, five or six sets, so you can buy, like, a scary cabin in the, wood, uh, in the woods and then put it in the forest, and then you... Can film each scene using like little like mannequin dolls basically and telling them like to act surprised or to run away or to do this or whatever and then film it and it like puts the actors into it and you can do all the props and it's like really really like in depth it takes like you know fucking 15 hours to make and <laughs> one and a half minute movie that is horrible you know but it's like but the idea is there and it's really it's really really cool and like there has not been another game made like this game. And like for some reason I just really, 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 really wanted to play a business management sim and I was like, I wanna like run the studio thing and I wanna make the movies and I wanna do all the stuff and like yeah. I just I still haven't scratched that itch because I haven't been able to get the game to work. So in my fantasy version of this island, <laughs> I have a computer that will run this game and run it well. Yeah. Don't worry don't worry and, about the equipment.
0: We'll we'll sort you out. We'll Okay. We'll get you yeah. sorted in terms of that. So this is actually a game you haven't played that much of.
1: Uh, Well, so I played a ton of it. Like it was, it came out or I started playing it when I was in college, Um, but I just haven't been able to play it recently. Uh, But up until like my last computer that I had, I was able to play it. I would just reinstall it on every computer that I bought. And then my newest, (laughs) my newest computer, it wouldn't, it wouldn't run. Um, And so, yeah, so I've really been like, like dying to play this game again. And I'm like kind of wondering too, like, you know, is it. Is it as fun as I remember it being? Like I have a lot of good memories of playing the game, you know. And then I also for the kind of like desert island thing, you could just make infinite movies. That's right? true. Like you could you could just do tons and tons and tons of different stuff. Um, I mean, although the, the hour like, investment, if yeah. it takes
0: you like one minute, one and a half, it takes you 15 hours to make one and a half minutes of a movie. If it if you want to make like an hour and a half movie. It would take yeah. you what? <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah, a I'll just year? i'll make i'll make citizen i'll
1: make Citizen Kane out of the movies, and then I'll, and then by that time I'll be dead on this desert island. <laughs> forty five years making my grand opus, you know, and
0: then <laughs> we'll somehow get shipped just... back to the mainland, yeah. so everyone else can watch it as well and be like, "What is this? This took what yeah. forty years to make?"
1: <laughs> well, and it's crazy too because this game, like people people who know it and played it, are always like they're. Super into it, right? And I was trying when I was doing this, like, I was not the only person on the internet, you know, trying to make this game work and function. And because there's no digital download version of it, there's no way to like if you buy a physical copy. I thought it was kind of expensive when I was looking on Amazon, but I looked it up the other night and like you can buy it on eBay kind of cheap. But uh, like, okay. it's just one yeah,
0: of those news that, that could have sort of been lost to time. No one's thought to like update yeah. it or anything. And Lionhead obviously yeah, doesn't exist like... anymore.
1: Yeah, but there's still, like, a whole, like, group of people that are like me that are just kind of like, okay, if you really want to get it to work on a modern computer, here's a giant (laughs) workaround, and you can also install, like, this other OS, and you can do this other thing, and you can try this, and then it's, like, just, like, forums of people just being like, I just want to play the movies. Why won't it work? (laughs) Why can't I buy it? Why is there no digital download? Why does no one care about this game?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why does no one care? (laughs) So what would be the type of movie you would make?
1: Um, well, so I made, so I made some horror ones. Um, you can do sci-fi movies, which kind of like come into fashion in like the forties, fifties kind of style version of it. You can make Star Um, Wars and make a load of money
0: before anyone steals the idea.
1: Yeah. And so like you could make, you could like put a film in motion, you know, and hire all the actors and spend all the money and then put it out and then have like the genre be out of date or something, you know, and then it like wouldn't make money and it would be like a flop. Um, or, you know, people won't want to work for your studio anymore or whatever.
0: Um, <laughs> Can you imagine if that was, like, the real life? Imagine if a studio made, yeah. like, a genre that wasn't in fashion, say, I don't know, westerns right now. Like, I don't want to yeah. work at you because you make western <laughs> like
1: Yeah. Well, I don't so know. Weird. I mean, I yeah, I mean, the, the film industry to me is kind of a mystery, so I'm not really, who knows how all that all that <laughs> voodoo works. Yeah, there are, like, westerns and, like, historical things. Yeah, there's, like, six or seven different kind of, like, themes of movies that you could make. And like I said, the like building tools for it were like were like interesting. It was almost like a diorama or something. Um, and then like like I said, the early ones were like silent films, and you can put music to it, and yeah, all this kind of super crazy in depth, you know, Lionhead Studio <laughs> kind of kind of style stuff. Um, yeah, I just I I just really really found it like super fascinating and there's not not been anything like it. So if anybody wants to make the spiritual successor to the movies, <laughs> I think that there I think there's an audience out there, so there's a free spot
0: <laughs> at uh, the Indie Megabooth yeah. if you are willing to Oh my god. You're willing to yeah. do it. Come along. <laughs> like, That's
1: actually the one kind of like trick. If you make a really good management simulation game, like I don't, I, we normally try and like curate, you know, it's not just games I like, like we're curating for <laughs> lots of different things, but I always have like a veto for those kind of yeah. games where I'm just like, nope. There you go. It's just, you heard it just first. Just in a boost space. Yeah. No one, <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, <I> need <laughs> no one gets to, to say anything about making. it. Yeah, it's only happened for like three or four games, maybe three or
0: four. I thought really. you were going to say like one.
1: <laughs> well, Rius, Rius was one of them, and that was a that oh, okay. was a while ago. Project High Rise for sure was one. Um, there's one in the Mega Booth. Oh, that's coming up. Well, we had shown it before. Eh, we haven't announced it yet, but anyways, there's a game called Crest. <laughs> okay, that's really cool. That's like a um uh, you're kind of it's a little like how Black and White was, except for the way that you interact with like all the people that are, like, your followers or whatever, is through, like, basically, like, symbol programming, like a visual programming language. Kind of like and the film like,
0: Arrival, maybe? You, uh, film?
1: you know, what, So I think somebody else has said something to me about that. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, it that's what be, it reminds yeah. me of. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I so need anyways, to add, so like, management yeah.
0: sims into my game, which... Could yeah. have nothing to do with management sims at all. Just
1: uh, shoehorn it in there. Just with <laughs> that
0: one build, just to yeah. trick you and to give me.
1: <laughs> I'll be like, oh my god, it's great. Worst part is I cannot be tricked on how good a management sim is because I know that's I true. Know. I wouldn't even
0: actually. I would be even scared about showing you a management sim i have made
1: <laughs> for fear of
0: immense criticism compared to all of this wealth of knowledge you have for the genre.
1: Yeah, um, but well, it'd be less scary and more more helpful. More however. helpful,
0: yeah. Like you need yeah. to do a lot of work. <laughs> here's a <Yeah>. here's a <laughs> 120 page document I prepared on a d- yes. deserted island. <laughs> I
1: also have a two hour lecture that I made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing is like there's a project for you. Like on the deserted island, on Yoshi's island, you can make the perfect like the guide to making a perfect management sim.
1: Yeah, that's true. I can make my my one my one idea. Or you can make it in mo-
0: you can make it in movie form through the yeah. movies for people to watch in the future. Yeah. <laughs> when, when they find
1: me dead on Mish's Island Made
0: later. by management sim aficionado yeah. Kelly Wallach.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we're going to move on now to the last game on your list and it's not a management sim but it's kind of like I think one of your nostalgia picks, alongside a. Yes. Oh, is Oblivion a nostalgia pick? I think maybe you did say something like about it being a, like a little yeah. comfy blanket.
1: Yeah, it's a medium. Yeah, medium nostalgia. Yeah. The this one is a is a full on nostalgia. Full on
0: nostalgia, and um, I wonder if you can even play this game anymore.
1: Oh man, I don't know. I still have the CDs for it, so I <laughs> <laughs> so we can find out. <laughs> but let's
0: listen to some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. So jumping into the final game now on Kelly's list. And as someone who didn't really grow up playing PC games in the early 90s, uh, I was obviously playing sort of Nintendo 64 and stuff like that. The, these are the kind of games I miss. So I literally have sort of no no understanding of the sort of graphic adventure genre in any sense and even like sort of when it comes to sort of the pc management sims we've been talking about today i came into this, those sort of games later you know with later entries into like roller coaster tycoon and theme hospital and stuff like that um so this next game i don't know too much about but it was a game developed by zombie llc and it was released back on the windows or dos machines back in 1996 and also for <laughs> macintosh when Macs were called macintosh it is a graphic adventure game Called Zork Nemesis, the Forbidden Lands. <laughs> Kelly, why yeah. is the final game on your list today? A graphic adventure game called Zork Nemesis.
1: Yeah, so this is um, yeah, so this is kind of why this is my nostalgia pick, and you can also kind of obviously tell I'm primarily a PC gamer. Yes, because <laughs> I don't think there's any console games on here. Um, Oblivion, and that's uh, that, but then um, I can play on PC. Yeah, I played it on PC. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so this was, so Zork, Zork, the original Zork was like a text, a text game, you know, like where you're like, yes. okay, I walk forward and I do this in a door. And it was kind of like one of the first like video games. Um, and then when this game came out, my dad actually bought it for me because he was like, I saw this in the store and Zork was like a, a game that was popular when I was a kid. And here's the new version. So here you go. So I I didn't know anything about the like background of it and I didn't you know I didn't know anything kind of going into it and I had tried to play Myst um, but I don't think I got very far in it or I just found it frustrating or I'm not sure what it was and there was just something with this game that I just it like really really clicked with me and so it's kind of it's kind of like Mist or Myst-esque you know where you're like on this kind of like weird you know empty planet or something you're kind of trying to discover what's happening through a series of solving puzzles and that what was exciting about this is that it had like real acting in it. So you would, like, hit certain, like, scenes, and there would be, like, basically, like, kind of, like, flashbacks, or so not really, like, ghosts, but just kind of, like, apparitions of, like, things that were happening, which was, like, you know, top technology at the time was that there was, like, real actors and real voice acting, and the story was super cool, um, and I have played this game, I th- I'd say from start to finish, like, four times, and I have bought the game, multiple copies of it, because I had loaned it to a friend, and they broke it, and, you know, all this other sort of stuff, and, but... The very, very, very last puzzle in the game, I could never finish it. And I didn't ever, like, look up, like, cheats and stuff. Like, the only time I do that is when I'm, like, sandboxing something and I just don't want to have to, like, bother with, you know, paying money for stuff or whatever. Um, but this, I like, I looked it up and I just physically couldn't beat the last puzzle. And so for me, I'm kind of like, if I had, you know, 60 years on a deserted island, could I actually figure out what the hell was happening with this last puzzle and, like, finally finish this game? Um... Yeah, and I feel like it was just kind of this, like, very, like, weird, important game for me at, like, a formative time. Like, I started playing it when I was probably, like, 11 or something, like yeah. 11 or 12, yeah, maybe, like, 10, 11. Um, and then I played it all the way through high school, and I think I played it again when I was in college, too. And so I haven't played it, again, recently, but I, I feel, like, based on the amount of times that I've played it and over, like, however many years that I've, like, gone back to it and played it and enjoyed it, that I think I would still like it. And so this is kind of my... My big, like, you know, rediscover a game that was, like, really kind of important to me during, like, a formative time.
0: Yeah. So, in terms of, like, finishing this last level, though, are you sure you wouldn't have wanted to sort of make sure that you could do it before you now spend 60 years beating your head against the wall trying to do it?
1: (laughs) I don't know, because, like, someone was telling me that in, like, the original Zork or one of the earlier ones or something, the last puzzle was actually unbeatable.
0: So maybe it's on purpose?
1: Yeah, I don't know, but I had looked up like videos or like instructions of like how to do it or what the puzzle was or something. Um, so I feel like there was supposed to be an ending to it, and I'm not going to look this up. I'm not going to finish reading the Wikipedia article, and I don't want to find out, you know, like what the actual answer is. <laughs> That's I think I would pretty rather ballsy.
0: Considering, yeah, I think technology. I would rather.
1: Yeah, I think I would rather play it and just see, and then kind of forever live with the mystery if it doesn't happen. And then if that's if that's the intent, if that's the intent of the the game designer, right, and it's stuck with me for this long, then I feel like that's just the choice I got to live with, right?
0: That is very true. As long as you know, it's kind of a nostalgia pick as well. So I feel like it's not so important that you finish it. I feel it's just that sort of warm, safe game that you're like, ah, this means a lot to yeah. me.
1: Yeah. And like the puzzles, it was like, I don't really play a lot of puzzle games. I mean, obviously by the choice of stuff that's on here. And like a lot of times I kind of find them frustrating or I just don't like the puzzle design or whatever. Um, So there's very, very few puzzle games that I like. And this was one of the also very few that I played all of them and figured them out on my own and enjoyed the process of discovering it. And then when I did solve the puzzle it didn't feel like I had been tricked or like I was just clicking something wrong or whatever yeah. you know up until the very last one yeah um, and so for me this is kind of like my my epitome of like the kind of like thinking puzzle game and even looking back at it like I still remember some of the puzzles but I could imagine going and playing the game and rediscovering what the puzzles were because every time that I sat down and played it I would kind of remember bits and pieces of it but I feel like the puzzles were so well designed and like there was a lot of like pieces to it like to each one um and the way that you got it right that I I think it would be fun to kind of like rediscover it again
0: yeah because I guess you know we forget things over time so it'd be nice to sort of maybe like or have that moment where you're like oh I remember this bit and you're like trying to figure it out and you're like oh yeah I remember and things clicking in your head that kind of nice feeling yeah warm feeling
1: yeah and it was very (laughs) kind of like moody and atmospheric and a little like creepy like it was kind of like scary because i I didn't really i like i said i didn't know what the story was i didn't know if there were bad guys in it you know i hadn't ever really like played a game up to that point that didn't have like things that you fought in it you know aside from like management sim style stuff um so i was always kind of like constantly waiting for like something to jump out at me or you know something (laughs) something scary or weird to happen but it was just kind of like a just a bizarre story set in a very strange place it did have that sort of mid 90s that that mid
0: 90s 3d Graphics and most games oh, yeah, that had those sure. graphics looked kind of creepy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's like these, all these big open kind of like rooms. Yeah. Just the design of everything. Man, now I'm just kind of like, I wonder if this game will run on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> so now I kind of want to go back and play it and see if I feel the same way about it.
0: So there you go, guys. If you are making an indie game and you want to be successful or you want to be on the <laughs> indie mega booth, all you have to do is either make a, a an excellent management sim. Yes. Um, you need to make a sort of spiritual successor to quite a few different other management sim games. <laughs> or you can make like a new Zork game that has a ending yeah. and also runs on a computer.
1: So I wonder when I was looking up the Wikipedia for this, it said it was a, Zork Nemesis was the 11th in the Zork series. So I have no idea. By the 11th 1997. 96, 96. yeah, By 96 or 97. 11th. Yeah, it was the 11th. The eleventh one. So, like, I wonder. I, who knows? Maybe there's fifty of them. Like, I I don't know. If maybe it's there's still a eleven thing. games would,
0: out there without with uh, without eleven yeah. endings.
1: Yeah, I mean, could be. Like, could be. <laughs> I, I think all the early ones were like text adventures or something. Yeah, some so of maybe the early like, ones. Like gone yeah. back into that.
0: It's such a weird yeah. name, Zork.
1: Yeah. Just can't take yeah, it seriously. It just, <laughs> yeah, it was like really like yeah, it was one of those things when I, my dad got it for me. I was just like, what is this? You know. So it was like kind of fun, like going. Like, I had read an article about um, Frog Fractions too, and, like, um, Jim Crawford, you know, talking about how, like, basically keeping things secret and discoverable in an age, like, on the internet. Yes. Where you can find everything and people just mine through code and, like, try to discover the secrets right away. And, yeah, I kind of miss, I miss that, like, going into something, just having no idea what to expect and not having any resources on figuring out. What, you know, what the problem yeah. was like it came with a little book and i had notes scribbled all over it and you know it was like solving puzzles and stuff and like yeah i kind of i kind of like that like i still try to do that with like movies and shows where i try to like go into it totally blind like i don't watch the trailer i don't read anything about it yeah. i just want to go in and just like experience it however i was supposed to experience it um so that it's like i'm not i'm not going into it already knowing all the stuff about it like, I had read a ton of stuff about, like, the new Mad Max movie, and then by the time I saw it, I was like, I feel like I've seen this movie already. Oh, that's a
0: shame, because um, I did the opposite for that, which is unusual, yeah. and I absolutely adored that film.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still liked it. It was still good, but I was, like, kind of bummed out at myself for doing that, Yeah, I was like, oh, I kind of, like, ruined a bunch of stuff about it. Twitter. By... Twitter's, Twitter's yeah. fault.
0: Fucking Twitter.
1: Oh, my God. Twitter, Facebook, the internet. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all suck. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But yeah. Kelly, unfortunately, now we have to send you to a place without all of those things. So I guess it's kind of a good thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's true.
0: We're going to send you good. off to Yoshi's Island with these eight games that you've chosen um, for lots of nostalgia and building things. You're going to have so much creativity and so much awesome time to just think about all these management systems and all that kind of thing. So, um, And no spoilers, but unfortunately, you can't see any new media after today.
1: Yeah, I don't know. This kinda of actually sounds like a really nice vacation <laughs> right now. A vacation <laughs> that never like, ends. Fa- yeah, I'm fantasizing about like, wow, I just have forever to just sit and build the best things ever and no <laughs> one's gonna bother me. I'm assuming I get food I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, don't yeah <laughs> d- yeah. Don't worry about the complications yeah. of it. Yeah.
1: It's all yeah, it's all taken care of. Let's not look behind the curtain
0: too much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Yeah, this is this is super great. I don't really actually get to talk through like the games that I play very often because I'm normally talking about other people's stuff other or people's things games, that we're yeah, so. <laughs> doing for the yeah we're doing for the mega booth. And so this is yeah this is really cool. Thanks for the opportunity. No,
0: thank you so much for coming on. But there is one last question I have to ask you before I send you away. Yes. So we talk about games a lot on Final Games, as everyone knows who listens. Um, But one of the things that is important about playing video games is the way we play games. And unfortunately, you've already hinted at that you're a PC player. So this question is going to really, really frustrate you. Um, (laughs) But if you could take one console with you to the desert land, and you can't take PC, unfortunately, because PC can emulate everything. So it's pretty much a console of everything. You know, you can even emulate DOS boxes that allow you to play games like the Zork text adventures, but unfortunately not the movies. It seems there's no way you can (laughs) play that. Um, But if you could take one console with you, thinking about the back catalog and the way you play games and all that kind of stuff, if you could only take one console with you, what would you take? Dreamcast. Ooh, okay. Why? I love the Dreamcast. Tell me a little bit as to why
1: uh well soul caliber 2 is on there um and Shemu is on there that's true crazy crazy taxi, crazy is there. taxi? uh soul reaver, soul reaver is on it yeah Power um, Stone. the sonic game was okay that's yeah. A good game. yeah Sonic. Adventure. yeah the one sonic game was was pretty good <laughs> yeah i don't know i was really into the dreamcast i really liked it like i think i mean the back catalog for playstation is definitely way better and i think my other option would probably be a super nintendo um yes but yeah there's just something about i i still have my dreamcast i still hook it up and i still play games on it so and i feel like shemme is a game i would sit down and play you know essentially forever you can go in that arcade and i played space harrier you know for ages yeah games and all within games kind of like, as well yeah game, games within <laughs> games games on games on games
0: <laughs> well you can take the dreamcast and the, those games with you but also these eight games that you've chosen as well um kelly awesome. thank you so much for coming on the show today as i said it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thanks for being such a fun guest so please tell the wonderful listeners who have listened so far where they can find you on the internet and also what they should be checking out
1: uh, so you can go to IndieMegaBooth.com. Uh, we have a mailing list that you can sign up for so you can learn all about cool announcements and new places that we're going to be at and new shows that we're doing. Um, also Indie Megabooth on Twitter, and we have a new Instagram account, also Indie Mega Booth. Um I'm Kelly Wallach on everything. I'm not super active on social media, as you can tell by <laughs> how nervous how nervous the pace of it makes me and <laughs> how frightened I am of the whole social media landscape. Um but I am there, so I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all that fun stuff, and yeah, that's uh, I'd say that's a good place to start.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, and thank you so much for you to listening to this episode of Final Games and joining us this week. I am of course Liam Edwards, and you can find me on the internet at Liam BME on Twitter, and also you can find Final Games at Final Games Show. If you want to email us, you can email us at finalgamespodcast at gmail dot com, and also. As always, you can find the show on SoundCloud, on iTunes, on Acast, on Stitcher, and all those wonderful podcast networks. And we're also on Patreon, so if you fancy supporting the show, a lot of people very generously have been doing so recently, which has been amazing. So thank you so much for that. But if you would like to support the show in any way you can, you can go to patreon.com forward slash final games. Other than that, I hope to see you again next week, and I hope you'll join us again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Final Games, and a huge thank you to Kelly for joining me. And until next time, goodbye.
1: Bye.